Hi, this is Larry Hama, and you're listening to Star Joe's Podcast. Picture pages, picture pages, time to get your picture pages, time to get your crayons and your pencils. Picture pages, picture pages, open up your picture pages. Welcome to Star Joe's Podcast, episode 155, Picture Pages, Picture Pages. I'm your host, Ryan. And I'm Leadfoot. <laughs> I'm John. I'm just Shannon, the Bo Jackson oh, podcast. Yeah, the Bo Jackson podcast. I, I thought you were going to come in with the Krav Magossum. No? Krav Magossum, yes. Krav Magossum. Krav Magossum. Krav Magossum. So, um, Robert, do you want to give me context behind the whole lead thing? Or? <laughs> well, okay. So, yeah, just leave there was guessing. Pro- no, that's all right. Yeah, there was a project that was a part of um, this last summer, and uh, it's, that's G.I. Joe related, and so they were going to make a file card for me. And, of course, if I had a file card, then I needed a G.I. Joe code name. So, um, you know, I, I thought it would be a little – I couldn't really come up with anything on my own. So, of course, I turned to uh, my best buddies here from Star Joe's and then just got tore apart. <laughs> hey, I thought we came up with some very inventive names for you. <laughs> they were pretty good. Um Granted, you were crying by the end of it, but you know, <laughs> only a little bit, single tear. That was all. So yeah, so we, uh, so they were coming up with all kinds of uh, good ideas for for my name. Let's see if I can Not insults, a couple of them. good ideas, right? Good ideas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the very first thing they latched onto was uh, the fact that I don't produce a lot of commissions. What? Very what? quickly. That's what you took from basis. those names. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to see if I still have some of those. Listeners. I know. I was trying to pull it up real quick. <laughs> trying to pull them up real quick. So, okay, yeah, some of the very first ones. Uh, Shannon said, I shall remain silent. I was like, oh, come on. You know, maybe what, what would Shannon say? And then, man, he just went on this huge <laughs> lit. Okay, so here's his first few. He said, uh, I was held, being o- nice. held over, overdue, no refund, postponed, ASAP, sort of. <laughs> and then uh, he was like, maybe. Maybe no, Ryan not. had a Ryan had a good one. Well, he had two good ones. What? Yeah, um, the, the first two you popped out with. I'm trying. No, no show and tardy. Well, I get, <laughs> yeah, those are good. Yeah. <laughs> I like no show. That yeah. that really rings like a Joe name. Yeah. yeah, no show is a good one. Yeah. I also gave overdue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, overdue was a good one. Um, man, it just kept going. And there then molasses was good. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that was another Mel. That was another one from Mel. Yeah, so Shannon's wife uh, jumped in and. No, nah, I mean, my was, personal uh, favorite one that I gave was ketchup. Ketchup is good. <laughs> well, okay, so then they suggested the with the hot sauce, which was a kind of a creator own joke character. Me and a couple of my friends did. Who's this Puerto Rican joke character named Hot Sauce? And we're like, oh well, he is a cool character, but you know. And so they're like, well, you could be like his brother. I'm like, well, I am in not at all Puerto Rican. Yeah, you know, I'm about as white as you get, and. Uh, so then, so they're thinking just condiments besides hot sauce. <laughs> well, like I, I, I thought ketchup's the is the um, is the white version of hot sauce. <laughs> but I spelled ketchup C A T C H hyphen U P because you need to catch up on your commissions. That's true. <laughs> and then uh, Shannon said mayo be with the whole uh, <laughs> condiment. Uh, yeah, that's about as white as you can get. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty bad. Let's yeah. see, and then and then we then we started going for uh, Shannon's. Right. Shannon's uh, code names might be disgruntled or wheels. <laughs> yeah. He liked the F- wheels. F- 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 wheels. He liked F- wheels. 
<laughs> yeah, and then that's and that's when I suggested the Krav Magasin. Right. That is a good one. That is Mel, a good one. Mel got a kick out of that. Yeah. Yeah, so then Mel, she came up with uh, Lightfoot, which is kind of like calling a fat guy tiny uh, <laughs> with the idea that I might be quick in the least bit, but in fact, I'm the opposite of that. So I thought that was appropriate. And, have, I mean, and drawing lead. See, it's a double. Oh, thing yeah, there. yeah. There like drawing lead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, works on so many levels. So There's no off switch in her head, man. <laughs> nope. No. Anyway, so that's what that was all about. Yeah, so so that was pretty sweet. But no, it was. I actually really liked the whole um, campaign that went on, as far as like picking uh, new Joe characters and, and everything oh, yeah. that went on. So that was that was pretty cool. That was cool. They so they approached me back. Uh, well, I, don't, I mean, I don't know how long. it was back in August, I guess. And they so there's this the um, kind of fan fiction. Uh, there's a, a way to create your own G.I. Joe prose novels or short stories through Kindle Worlds. And it's uh, you can submit a manuscript through that. And if it gets accepted, then it's like published material. So it's a way for like anybody can do this. Anybody can write uh, specific to Hasbro and G.I. Joe, like a G.I. Joe related story. And under the Kindle Worlds banner, you can have your story published. And so uh, Hasbro is like, jumping on this like they think it's great and they're really endorsing it and so four of the stories that have had multiple stories or kind of built up a fan base um were done by and i'm totally gonna forget somebody here but it was uh jim beard uh how uh, troy osgood um uh, justin bell and then darn i knew i'd forget somebody oh bill nidro so uh so those four guys that had created stories and they they took a main character from each of their stories and they're doing a contest where fans can vote on which of their characters um would be made into an actual gi joe like a figure and have a figure release and everything Mm -hmm. so they contacted me to do some just concept art you know just to develop these characters visually and then and at new york comic con they uh, released it and kind of announced the whole contest and then put up the concept art that they had so far and um so as far as I know, like the contest is still going. They haven't, they haven't announced a winner, but uh, yeah. But it was cool because there was some uh, female characters in there and everything. Which, let's face it, Joe could really use some <laughs> new female yeah, characters. So that's who I'm kind of. That's who I'm kind of voting for. I like that. I mean, some of the designs in general I liked better, or was. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the female characters I thought were. Yeah. Anytime you can add more female characters to the canon is only going to help. Yeah. So. Yeah, so pretty sweet. Um, well, what we're doing uh, for this episode is we are actually going to do uh, talk about like some of our top five favorite artists, but then we're also probably going to branch out into a whole bunch of other artists as well. Um, this was a suggestion a long time ago. I want to say it was maybe Kevin Longman, but I could be wrong. Um, but he asked wh- who our favorite artists and writers are, and when we were talking about doing that as a top five, Shannon, I think it was said like, you know, that could take up a whole episode just talking (laughs) about artists or just talking about writers. And so we were like, okay, then we'll do a whole episode of it. So that's what this is. Um, and we wanted to make, this was one of those episodes, uh, where we wanted to make sure we had all four of us on because we all have all four of us had different perspectives. And, and I'm sure you guys would want to hear, especially Robert and Shannon's perspectives when it comes to artists, since they're in the business. So, um, so I, I know for me, I had to really like hunker down and think about artists cause I had a long, long list of artists, a lot longer than I thought my artist list would be. 
Um, but then what we're going to do is we'll just like top five lists. We'll talk about, we'll start from five, work down to one, do round robin type thing. And, um, but then, uh, we were talking right before the episode, if the artist is on your list, you'll go ahead and just talk about them then. Uh, and then we can jump in with other artists and everything else as, as we go along. And this is also going to be kind of our tribute episode to Herb Trimpey and Earl Norum, who we lost both of them this year. Uh, I do have some information about both of them that, that I'll go into, and then we can also talk about any experiences or, or what we know of, of those artists. Uh, Herb Trimpey, obviously, we know from G. his work on G.I. Joe, mostly, um, even though he's done a lot of other things. Uh, and then uh, Earl Norum was as far as related to the show was known for doing a lot of, uh, He-Man Master of the Universe, uh, paintings. And he also did a little bit of Transformers as well. So, but before we get into that, we do have some listener feedback. Uh, we have, uh, two emails, both from, uh, from Brad. And then we have a voicemail from Travis and Travis literally left his voicemail (laughs) like seconds ago. (laughs) So, Usually I listen to the voicemail ahead of time and know what to expect. I have he can no... screen them a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I just just so I know like what to be prepared for. But I have no idea what to be prepared <laughs> for when it comes to Travis's uh, voicemail. So should we go ahead and play that one first? I, I gotta say it makes me a little nervous. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's just... Uncle Teabag. It's gonna be fine. I know exactly. Like yeah. whenever you have uncensored Travis, you gotta be careful. Right. <laughs> Just never know what you're going to get with Uncle T-Bag. So. I know, yeah. All right, so we'll go ahead and play that. <laughs> hey, guys, it's Travis. Um, calling in real quick to say a couple things. While they aren't top movies of 1983, two key pop culture slash geek culture things happened in 1983. Number one, Vince McMahon receded the World Wrestling Federation from the National Wrestling Alliance to make his regional Northeast promotion a worldwide wrestling promotion. The second thing, WCW World Championship Wrestling held their first supercard slash pay-per-view called Starcade, Flair for the Gold, where Ric Flair defeated Harley Race to obtain the NWA World title. Two great things. Man, 1983 was great. So... So that was it. Yeah. Where's Chuck when you need him, man? Right. <laughs> so, um, before the episode started, I was talking, I was in a text chat with, uh, with Chuck and Nick and Travis and Sam. And I said, we might do artists and we might do movies from 1983. We just don't know how, it's, I don't know how it's going to play out yet. Um, so he's like, oh, I got a, he says, I got two things from 1983. And he, he mentioned the things he just mentioned in the voicemail. And I said, yeah, those aren't movies. Right. And he goes, well, yeah, but they're, you know, critical moments from 1983. And I says, yeah, maybe we'll have to do that sometime. Talk about different years and major things that happened in those years in in the eighties. Um, so he goes, well, I'm going to leave a voicemail. Um, but I didn't know if that for sure was what the voicemail was going to be about. Um, I did tell him that they're kind he said, well, the one was like a movie cause it was only shown in theaters and you had to buy tickets to view it. And I said, well, there also was a lot of acting and scripting going on with it too. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So, um, so yeah, so evidently, uh, 
Uh, Travis is a big time Ric Flair fan, and like you said, I don't Chuck. Where's Chuck when we need him? Yeah. <laughs> so hey, Shannon and uh, John, are you? Did you either of you guys watch wrestling at all to get into it? Oh, are you kidding? I'm a. I still am a fan. Oh, are you? Oh, really? Yeah, I don't watch a lot of the modern stuff, but I, I love watching the old stuff. I grew up on the old Memphis Championship Wrestling, which was Jerry Lawler and the Jarrett's promotion. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's where Andy uh, Kaufman wrestled, you know, yeah. kind of made his bones. But, uh, yeah, I love that old school stuff. I, I used to watch it with my grandma. Nice. And, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Your grandma? <laughs> with my grandma. And, and uh, it was funny because when, uh, when we got ESPN Classic in the late 90s, at, at, when I was with my still with my folks – um, my mom and I would watch, it was stuff from the fifties, old black and white stuff that ESPN classic used to show. Cause that's what she grew up on. So yeah, I've got a soft wow. spot for wrestling and flair is awesome. And I was pretty upset when Piper died and yeah, oh, no, I, I love it. I, and you know, I, again, I don't watch a lot of the modern stuff, but, uh, but I definitely have a, an affinity for that stuff from the, you know, late seventies to what early nineties, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Shannon? Uh, I was kind of like John, because I, I grew up in the South, but actually my neighbor used to be a professional wrestler in kind of the Southern Association. Oh, okay. Wow. Uh, he was part of a tag team called the Spoilers. They were the bad guys for a long time. Okay. And uh, we all, when I was first born, we all lived in an apartment complex, and he wouldn't tell anybody what he did. He said he sold restaurant equipment. And my dad... <laughs> My dad was watching wrestling one night, and one of the spoilers, a fan came out of the audience, broke a bottle, and cut him across the arm. Oh, wow. Well, the next day, Lorenzo had a big bandage around his arm. <laughs> and dad put two and two together and was like, you liar. You, you know. <laughs> and Lorenzo was like, shoot up, shoot up, you know, because Lorenzo was straight out of Italy. So he was like, shoot up, shoot up. Don't tell nobody to go to God. You'll be quiet. <laughs> but, um, but Lorenzo eventually, he like gave up being a spoiler and just became like one of the guys. But when I was a kid and he retired from wrestling, they opened up a restaurant. Well, all the wrestlers would come to the restaurant. Oh, man. And they would hang out. And, uh, you know, in Nashville, it was guys like Tojo Yamamoto and those kind of guys. And uh, the big stink was uh, when you're Andre the Giant came to the restaurant and nice so he had like all these pictures but i mean that was my connection to wrestling is because i grew up around lorenzo you know yeah that's awesome but that was that was really only my that was really the extent of it for me yeah well i will say uh i mean and yeah i was i'm like john also in that you know the the 80s was really when i was heavy into in like wrestling and stuff like that but uh one of my co-workers just recently and i don't think he listens to the show but uh if he does uh kyle he um he was just telling me this week that his brother got him tickets to wrestlemania for next april which is in dallas wow. and that's nice. like that's like the super bowl of wrestling you know it's like so he is ecstatic he's like it was one of the things on his bucket list that he's like i have to go to wrestlemania sometimes so. if, if wwe is listening the spoilers would be a great tag team name now oh yeah and they, could, they could go out and and tell you everything that's going to happen on tv shows <laughs> kind of like and travis will appreciate this like when wcw would tell fans what was going on on wwf during the yeah. monday night wars they would they would basically give the results of matches so you didn't have to watch it so right. yeah that WWE get that one for free guys. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so so since his since his call wasn't about what I thought it may be about, can I tee up Oh yeah. special presentation so Go right ahead. Uh, okay, you, so what? Go ahead. I was going to ask do you know what's in it? I do. I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> so so Shannon 
on the last episode, many of you remember, got the greatest, easily the greatest voicemail we've ever heard, and and we've got this <laughs> Bo Jackson of of uh, podcasting uh, nickname moniker. But uh, Travis and I had been talking a bit about something that he wanted to do for Shannon uh, for. You know, for the art he's done for him over the years, and just because he heard him talk so much about this particular uh, wow. thing on a previous episode, so uh, I have been helping track this package coming from Ohio to DC, <laughs> and it got there today. And so Travis said, "Hey, ask him to open it on the show, and then he can so, we can hear what he thinks." So, so I guess tra- so tra- <laughs> yeah, Travis wants you to open his package, is what I'm hearing. So That's Uncle right. T-Bag, open Uncle <laughs> T-Bag's package, right? All right. All right, I'm going to open it. It's like Christmas. All right, there's a note. And there's something wrapped in an envelope. Sorry I'm taking so long. Hang oh, on. you're fine. Should I read the note? Yeah, go right ahead. All right, Shannon, I hope you enjoy this as much as I did making it. Once I heard you were a, a Red Brown Cap fan. Well, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> I knew I had to make this. For some reason, it just seems fitting that Reb be forever remembered in Mego form. Oh, no. They completely missed out on a million-dollar idea. Thank you for everything, and hope to see you at, at a con with John soon. All right. I'm afraid to open it. <laughs> Let me just get, get some scissors. Make this quicker. Anything that references Reb Brown is not a – we're in trouble. <laughs> You gotta be smarter than the envelope. Edit this out. <laughs> oh no, that's priceless. <laughs> oh sweet. Oh, there's no moose knuckle. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what you were looking forward to. <laughs> that's what I was afraid of. Oh. oh my god, this is brilliant. So it's a red brown Mego action figure with a clear plastic shield this is perfect <laughs> this travis is made that travis made that for yeah. you travis how did he do the suit um you'll have to talk to him about that he does customs yeah oh my god that's amazing he started working on that a bit ago so yeah yeah he does custom magos and he, he he'll constantly be sending like pictures of like the the new suit that he has or because oh. sometimes he makes them and sometimes he orders them and stuff he even got the helmet <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> this is priceless well, thank you. Many thanks. This is awesome. So, Shannon, what we'll need, if, if at any time that's convenient for you, we'll need you to take a picture of that so we can put it out there so the listeners can see what it is and everything. That's priceless. That's awesome. Oh, my God. I may just have to leave the show so I can go play with it. <laughs> <laughs> go, go play with your package. <laughs> this is brilliant. This is like the coolest gift I've gotten in years. <laughs> That's awesome. I told you. I told him you'd love it. I was afraid. I was afraid to open it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm scoring twice. Last episode, I'm Bo Jackson. This episode, I'm scoring the toys. See, see aren't you glad you became part of the show? <laughs> see, I'm telling you. I'm like Man, the Jimmy Walker. Travis, Travis has been busy. He he also did a. Uh, you know how he's into binding comics yeah. and stuff, and uh, so I've been keeping up with him on that. And he did a collection of all the Joe uh, books that I've done. Yeah. So if it's a cover or if it's uh, one of the interior issues and stuff, so he sent me um, 
one of the books. It, it was his book. You know, I was going to sign it and stuff and send it back to him. But it kind of got beat up a little bit in the mail on the way here. Like, I guess post office just drop kicked it to my door. <laughs> and um, anyway, so we're working on, uh, I figured, you know, I got all these comps and stuff from IDW. So I was going to fill out enough for another book. Okay. And so he's going to be putting together a book. Uh, so I'm just going to keep the one that got beat up on okay. its way here. <laughs> nice. And then uh, we're going to get a book together for him. Nice from my from my comps, and then uh, I can do a sketch in there for him. But Very cool. those are, that's really cool too, man. He's been doing yeah, a lot he of does, binding. Stuff. He does a lot of binding, and they always look amazing. So um, yeah, I'm like the only thing that ever holds me back from doing a bound book is like not for value reasons or anything like that, but I just I have a hard time like thinking about how the comic is just going to be basically taken apart and <laughs> like and everything else. But they look awesome when they're done. Yeah, so. and for me, it's just the organization. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's phenomenal. I think it's really cool. I would love to get books that I had like an affinity for, either like nostalgically or because I just love the artist or the story. And if it's not currently in a nice hardcover format, yeah. you know, then it, this that's a great way to do it. Um, like for instance, the uh, one of Travis's friends had a Thundercats one yeah. put together, and I'm like, yeah, to get all those separate issues combined and put into a hardcover book, like that's yeah, well, a really that, neat idea. That's how I feel about the uh, Dreamwave Transformers. That's never been collected into a hardbound edition, right? And I would love it, but at the same time, I'm like, man, I just really like having the issues though too. So I almost want to go out and get duplicates just so I can make a, a bound edition, but still keep the issues. As yeah, well. and the, yeah, like I said, what holds me back is just the. The coordinating it, you know, just making sure you have all the right issues, that they're in the right order, that the form gets filled out correctly and it's all shipped off and everything. Like, we all know I'm not organized enough to do that kind of mess. No. So I'm going (laughs) to, I'm just going to have Travis do it all for me. I'm just going to, like, just get it all, have him put it together. Nice. Well, we did have a couple, uh, or a couple emails, uh, as I mentioned, both from uh, Brad. And uh, so I wanted to read those. so the first one he sent, uh, it just said, hi, Ryan, but but it's because it's about Star Wars, so I think he assumes I'll know the most about this. But he said, i recently been thinking of a couple scenarios that could shake the Star Wars universe, or at least my view of it. Let me preface this email by saying that I believe, despite being a bad guy, James Earl Jones' Darth Vader is almost universally loved or at least admired. Uh, he's not the cut-and-dry, ruthless jerk that Frank Welker's Megatron is. But he's also not the lovably buffoonish Cobra Commander of Chris Lada or the harmless and hilarious Skeletor of Alan Oppenheimer. He's somewhere in the middle. Dangerous, yes, but also a tragic figure with a with a once brilliant and noble past as a person who helped others before helping himself. Yes, he yes he killed younglings, but yeah. <laughs> but he was desperate to save his wife and possessed, uh, and it happened off camera. Yes, Obi-Wan let himself be killed, uh, but he has taken Anakin's leg and arm. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So he says, so number one, but what if during the run of Star Wars Rebels, during their inevitable showdown, Sky Guy, which was Anakin, kills, kills Snip? Ahsoka has become an extremely popular character, both with children, women, and even dusty old white men with the wrong side of 35 like myself. (laughs) <laughs> could vader ever be re- revered again after doing that he wouldn't be killing her to try and save a loved one or to get even with someone for ruining his life 
what justification could Dave Filoni give him for doing that? I can't imagine any young kids wanting to dress up like him at Halloween again after that. I think if he ends up slaying Ahsoka, there's no coming back from from that for him. That would take away any empathy of his character for me. And then he says, number two, there's been rumblings that one of the characters from Star Wars Rebels will make an appearance in Episode 7. A lot of people are assuming it will be Sabine. But assuming that Ahsoka doesn't die during Rebels, I would be absolutely giddy if it was her. If Anakin was roughly 46 when he died in Return of the Jedi, and Ahsoka was about eight years younger than him, she would be around 68 during the events of The Force Awakens. I would love to see a scene where she talks with a 54-year-old Luke Skywalker about her experiences being his dad's Padawan. I could see Ashley Eckstein in live action costume and makeup looking just like an old Ahsoka opposite Mark Hamill's grizzled Luke. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on these two questions since you're such an aficionado and fan of the movies. Um, so are you guys aware of Ahsoka Tano? I, yeah. I am. Is she, is, she's in, is she in Rebels now? Yes. She yeah, I, I, I kind of, sorry, I kind of got lost in that voicemail or the message, but yeah, yeah she, she she did move from one to the other. Yes, so she is like the great transition character. She actually appeared in the finale of season one, which was made me giddy also because when I saw her, I was like, oh my god, she's still alive. Because at the end of Clone Wars, you, she runs off and you just don't know. Right. What yeah, you don't know at all. Yeah. Right. So and Rebels takes place years after Clone Wars. So. Right. Um, so yes, no, I th- I she's growing up right now. So the whole e- the whole email is very well thought out. Like that's really cool. It's intriguing. Um, I think, uh, man, I don't think he would kill her. I think anything that Vader did that was quote unquote evil or dark side ish or whatever was to gain power or under a direct command from the Emperor. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't. There was. Now this is all expanded universe stuff, but there's right. a lot of times like in the Dark Times book. Or other things where, um, where uh, the emperor was using slaves to do this and this, and we saw the honor, the inner conflict of Vader, because I mean he grew up a slave, his mom was a slave, like, and him not wanting to obey and finding ways around strictly obeying the emperor. Um, so I would expect expect that, you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah, if, I don't think he would kill her. I think yeah. if, if if presented with the situation, unless it was like directly in front of the emperor and the emperor is saying kill her then he would probably have to but yeah uh unless it's in that position you'd let her go yeah i i find it really interesting too because i didn't really think about the fact that in rebels you can now have ahsoka tano meet up with darth vader and she's not going to know who he is but he's right. going to but he's going to know who she is exactly yeah so i think that's going to be interesting um as far as will would he be a re- still a character that people would love even if he killed ah- ahsoka for me yeah it's it's darth vader he's to me he's the one of the ultimate bad guys he's he's an iconic figure regardless of i mean he killed younglings and i thought that was way worse than a killing ahsoka tano <laughs> so um so i think yeah like who who is a trained jedi right who would be like an obvious threat to him right so um so yeah I don't I don't see any issues with that but I do think it's going to be really interesting to to see those two characters meet up in Rebels which you have to figure it's going to happen at some point. Yeah and it's like I if under the uh under the old Lucas banner I don't think they would have Ahsoka Tano show up in the live action films. Like they they liked that these things were happening but at the same time it seemed like they didn't want to 
have it cross over too much. I mean, yeah. I guess they had like the Commander Cody and stuff like that, but uh, in general, but now with it being Disney and them wanting to market so much, and I could see them bringing it in to tie it all together. It's like yeah. if they're going to use Ahsoka Tano in the Rebel show, then bring her in in Episode Seven again to, to kind of keep to draw in the marketing for that younger crowd. Like yeah. I could see them really playing that up. Now the, the character I think most likely is going to appear in it. I think it'll just be a cameo. I don't think it's like he's talking on Ahsoka, like interacting with Luke Skywalker and everything else. I don't think it's going to be anything that much in your face no. because that would require people having seen the expanding universe. I don't think it's going to be anything where um, you're It's going to be in your face like that. That's requiring of the audience. I think it's just going to be a, a quick cameo. And personally, I think it'll be Ezra, uh, the main character of rebels because he's a young kid in rebels. So by the time, this movie would take place. He would be an older character and I could see him being like in the command room with Leia or something like that. And they just mention like Captain Ezra or something like that. And those yeah. that watch rebels I, will know. I think it'd be cooler if he was in like that, the rogue one movie or something like that. Yeah, know? that would be cool. Or it could be the character of Zeb, which is an alien species. So who knows how long he can live for? You know, you could see him That's in the too. you could see him in the background or something like that. But again, I think it's gonna be a cameo type thing. I don't think right. we're gonna see a main like interaction or something like that. So now, and kind of speaking of the the whole Star Wars thing too, real quick, it's it's been fun because last week uh, my son was sick for a couple of days, and so he stayed home. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. I know. Well, what was fun <laughs> that that sucked, but like what was fun about it was like we're like. All right, Star Wars Marathon, because he has nice. He's seen the movies, but he was kind of too young when he first saw the movies to really get it. Yeah. Um, and so he's he just turned nine, and so he's like at that perfect age, I think, for it. So we went and we watched four, five, and six, and then um, right in a row, and uh, that just blew his mind. I mean, he was just – everything I wanted to get out of him watching it, like vicariously, like it was perfect. Because I think I was too young when Star Wars came out and was really, really big. I didn't see him at the theaters. So um, this was really cool just to kind of see his reaction to it at that at that perfect age. Yeah. And then we went and watched episodes one, two, and three. But we watched a fan edit on YouTube of all three movies smashed together with all the crappy parts taken out. Nice. <laughs> and there's quite a few of these. But we found one that was I really liked. So, so it was 20 minutes long. <laughs> yeah, it was like well, it was like two hours and forty minutes or something like that for all three movies. So um, that's it, pretty lot, condensed. <laughs> it was, yeah. A lot of the third movie was in there, but there was like zero Jar Jar, and like they didn't even show him like killing the younglings or suggesting it. Yeah. Um, they talked about it, like when Obi Wan's telling Padme about it later. Like they talked about it, but Connor didn't even pick up on what any of that was about. And it, like all, we didn't even see Anakin as a kid. Like all of that's cut out of the first one. So um, anyway, so I was like, man, that's the way to watch it. <laughs> so that's yeah. the only way so far that he's experienced those first three. And this like really primed him. So now we're watching through the Rebels. And he, he watched a lot of the Clone Wars. So yeah. I sat down and I had to do like this visual diagram. Because what was confusing to him was <laughs> who the Separatists were and that the that who Darth Sidious was. And he looked like the Emperor, but he wasn't the Emperor yet. Right. And then like the whole... He goes, I thought stormtroopers were bad. So he was trying to understand why the clones were good. And, gotcha. Or why, 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 well, actually, he thought the clones were good. And then he was, and then in the movies, all the stormtroopers were bad. And he's like, I thought they were good. Yeah. And then we had to sit there and, and work that out. So kids nowadays are kind of, they're getting it all backwards. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, 
they're able to see it chronologically develop, but then at the same time, it, it's it's actually confusing yeah. for them in a lot of ways because of the politics. Yeah. Well, and that's why, I, like, I've I've had people say like, well, how should kid, you know, how should my kid watch the movies? And I was like, I would have your kid watch the movies the same order you saw them in, which is the original trilogy, which is very you know, very black and white, very basic of, you know, here's the good guys, here's the bad guys, and then it gets complex as it moves along. And then you can introduce the prequels, which, like you said, gets a lot more political, and then you can get into the Clone Wars and stuff like that, where you can, you know, things really get, you know, delved into and everything. Um, but it, Well, you almost, you have to do it that way, because otherwise, you one of the best moments of the entire Star Wars universe gets is, ruined. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seeing the connection between Vader and Luke. Right. And otherwise, you you see it coming from a mile away, and the only one who's surprised in that moment is Luke. Right. Like, otherwise, everybody else knows. Like, right. You're like, duh, Luke. Like, hello, we've, we've known this for four movies already. You know, like... See, and I would torture my kid. I'd have him watch Star Wars, and I'd have him watch Empire Strikes Back, and then I'd wait, have him wait three years to watch Return of the Jedi. <laughs> so this way he can suffer for three years of, is it is he really his father? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy to think that it was just that far. But yeah. anyway, so yeah, Star Wars has been on my mind a lot lately just because yeah. watching it with my kids. Now, yeah, just, just you, Robert. Right, right. Nobody no else, one else has, been, has been thinking about it. Nobody that. else has been thinking about Star Wars. I'm like, come on, guys, give it the program. There's like a movie coming or something? Like, I don't know. Speaking of which, have you guys seen that today they released, uh, there was like, I think it was a Japanese trailer, an international trailer. Um, so it was like the trailer that we got from Monday Night Football, but this was for, uh, like I said, it was for overseas, and it had a lot more scenes in it than what we saw over here. Oh, um, no, I haven't seen that. Yes, it did. Kaiju? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I still don't know what's going on, which is the thing I like about watching these trailers is I it's just a lot of awesomeness and I still am not 100% <laughs> sure of what I'm going to see. <laughs> yeah, it's not giving away huge plot points right. and spoiling the movie. Yeah. Right. All right, so we had one more email from from Brad also about Star Wars. And John, you might cringe at this one because he does uh I think he talks about the whole Luke and Kylo Ren thing, so Okay. Just to warn you. Uh, <laughs> so his email subject line was, uh-oh. And he put Luke minus e, the letters E and U for ex- extended universe uh, would leave you with LK. And then LK plus OY for OY, which is OY, would then give you Kylo. And so that's a really weird way to get there. I don't know what he's going for there. Somebody, somebody's read too many Dan Brown novels. Right. <laughs> so, um, so it's like, said, we need some kind of decoder device to find yeah. out the plot points of the new star Wars. movie. Right. So he says, Hollywood loves a good- Nick cage when you need him. <laughs> so he says, Hollywood loves a good shock value reveal. It'd be like the whole, I am your father twist from empire strikes back except a audiences can't keep a secret for for their fellow moviegoers nowadays so anyone who isn't in the December 17th midnight screening won't be surprised uh, and b this would be the depressing turn of events we just saw in 2005 Anakin go bad we don't need that from Luke too um i don't think Luke is Kylo Ren i'm tired of hearing about that like if he is hey that'll be a surprise to me but i do think Luke. So here's my thought behind that. It's a quick thought at the end of the movie, I think, is when we see Luke. I don't think we see him through the whole movie. I think Luke has turned dark, 
And I think Luke will be the re- the reason that Han Solo dies and possibly even Chewbacca dies. And yes, I do think that Han- I think that Han Solo will die in this movie. I don't think he's going to be around for the next several movies. That's just my theory. I have nothing to base it on. I'm not pulling it from spoilers that I found out or anything like that. This is just my thought. So when you see the trailer of Ray crying over somebody, she's obviously crying over the body of somebody. Um, I th- I personally think it's Han and maybe even Han and Chewie. I think it's Glenn. <laughs> From The Walking Dead. <laughs> From The Walking Dead. Um, so, I don't think I don't think Luke goes like Emperor bad or anything like that. I think he in the expanded universe, he obviously played around with the dark side and, and was able to come back from it. And then I think that's where you find the balance. Cause we've talked about it in the previous novels, how the force used to be that you had access to both the, the dark and light side. And it was you understanding the balance. Yeah. And I think if anything, it's Luke kind of figuring that out and, uh, and, you know, managing it. I think, um, I mean, who I, I'm, I'm just excited for it. So I think oh, conjecture, I conjecture is like, it's just for the fun of it, but I, yeah. I think he. Uh, I mean, he was expressly told, you know, pass on what you've learned. Yeah. Right. So I don't see any reason why he wouldn't do that, except you know, especially knowing that Leia's out there, and when they start having kids, you would think that he would teach them. Luke and, and I think I think I think it's <laughs> yeah. one of the well, they, yeah, did, when they, they did kiss. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> and we, so and we he, saw the robot chicken thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So I, th- I think he's going to teach their kids, and one of their kids goes bad. But I think, yeah. and, and their kids maybe not fully understanding w- Vader's purpose or whatever, and they lean more towards the dark side of it because Luke's trying to teach the dark side, maybe, but yeah. doesn't. But it gets away from him, and then he becomes a hermit like Obi Wan was. But yeah, it's it's possible that Kylo Ren is like a, a Luke and or not Luke uh, is a like a Leia mm-hmm. and Han child that gets revealed that you know once they reveal who kylo ren is i don't think kylo ren will die in the movie i hope he doesn't i hope they actually keep him as a character for a few movies yeah um yeah i think it was a mistake killing darth maul in the prequel so um so two things one is i i will not be surprised even though i will be somewhat surprised i it would not shock me if I found out that Luke Skywalker was, was actually in the emperor type role and was actually controlling the first order. Um, you know, there's a possibility of him going that dark. Yeah. Um, that would make me sad. Like, I, I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. I love the Luke character too. So, I mean, but at the same time, like if you make it interesting enough, I'm, I'm along for the ride. Um, sure. yeah. and, uh, the other thing is, uh, this, this ties into what we talked about last time, Shannon, where Kylo oh, Ren, no. Kylo Ren sounds like a hillbilly name. Oh yeah. I started thinking about, <laughs> I started thinking about it. Well, I started thinking about it more and the other characters you have, you have Finn, which sounds like a hillbilly name. You have Ray, which sounds like a hillbilly name. <laughs> you have Poe Dameron, which sounds like a hillbilly name. Well, that, that sounds like a sandwich. <laughs> and then you have the fact that Luke kissed his sister, which is pretty much what a hillbilly would do. Oh, goodness. So, <laughs> so I, I think you're onto something with this whole Kylo Ren being a hillbilly. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. <laughs> All the right. first shot of him is in the woods. Right. <laughs> they're still. <laughs> so, so doubles as a banjo. <laughs> so, um, so the rest of his email says, he says, instead, uh, uh, he should come out at the last minute when the shit hits the fan referring to, uh, Luke, uh, kind of like he saves the, 
the day at the last moment uh, type thing. So he says, one, Han probably dies in Chewie's arms on on the Falcon's ramp. (laughs) Was that John? Was that John sighing? That was not me. Oh, sorry, that was me, yeah. (laughs) Uh, After not being able to outrun Captain Phasma's blaster bolts, but is immediately, albeit too late, avenged by his daughter, Rey. Uh, Enter Billy D. Williams in Episode 8 to fly the Falcon with Chewie again. Um, And again, this is all all Brad's conjecture of what's going to happen. So he says, two, the audience will already be in proper what-the-fuck mode at this point. We cut to a dark, snowy forest where the real Kylo Ren, which is Adam Driver, has just lopped off an overmatched, inexperienced Finn's right hand and is just about to deliver a death blow after a syndro- syndrome-esque monologue when Snap hits, <laughs> the green destiny comes blurring into frame to cross blades with the red broad saber. The camera slowly pans up to finally show us Luke's bearded face and steely eyes basked in the ambient saber light. <laughs> he gets really descriptive here. Wow, yeah. Luke utters, that's the last mistake you'll ever make. Uh, audience knowingly cheers. And what ensues is a straight-up clinic of Luke schooling his this pretender in the ways of the Force and sword fighting. We're talking broken trees, flying snow, Force pushes, a flurry of red and green lights... Just in time, he goes. Just in time for Christmas. I like I like the force pushes. Like it's a, it just becomes a shoving match. You right. know, like, he said, then, shut up. Like no, grade school fight. Up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he says. Then Luke ends Kylo, making way for Benicio del Toro's baddie in Episode Eight. Uh, he buries Han, Han next to a grieving Leia. Um, Finn marvels at his new bionic hand and the skywalker twins start to train ridley and boyega in the ways of the force as r2 and bb8 engage in hijinks droid banter uh then in a post-credits scene poe brings lando into a resistance meeting for a look who i found moment and 3po breaks the fourth wall in surprise uh so he says like your thoughts on this That's a very vivid picture he paints. <laughs> yeah. No, I want to see the, the Kylo Ren Luke slap fight. Yeah. <laughs> I actually cool. I actually wouldn't mind and I think it's kind of a cool idea to to think that Luke could come in at the last moment to save the characters there from Kylo Ren and shows what a badass he actually has become over the years. So Yeah, that that is a neat idea. So I'd be for that. But all right. So that was all the listener feedback. <laughs> Which didn't take up too much time. <laughs> um, so let's get into our our, uh, our artists here. Um, the first thing I wanted to do is, like I said, I did have some information about Herb Trimpey and uh, as well as Earl Norum. Uh, so I just wanted to touch on some of the stuff about them. Uh, so Herb Trimpey was born in May 26, 1939 in Peekskill, New York, uh, where he graduated from Lakeland High School. Uh, his brother, Mike Trimpey, inked Ant-Man's, uh, an Ant-Man story that Trimpey penciled for Marvel feature number six in 1972. He said some of his influences as an artist, uh, is he really loved Disney stuff, Donald Duck uh, and characters like that, funny animal stuff, and Plastic Man. Uh, he also liked, uh, he was a big fan of EC Comics uh, and artist Jack Davis, and Jack Davis was a cartoonist, one of the founding people for uh, Mad Magazine. He commuted from New York City for three years to attend the School of Visual Arts. Uh, He also joined the United States Air Force for four years. 
when he got out of that, that's when he started pursuing his uh, penciling and, ink, and inking career. But he uh, he was he joined the Marvel production staff, and was, and that was announced in the bullpen bulletins of Marvel Comics, uh, cover dated in June of '67. And the example of where that appeared was in Fantastic Four number 63. He made his his professional penciling debut with two um, Kid Colt Western stories, uh, which were in Kid Colt Outlaw number 134 and 135, which was in May and July of 1967. Shortly thereafter, Trimpey and writer Gary Friedrich created Marvel's World War I aviator hero, Phantom Eagle. Uh, he's also, I didn't really know this, but I guess I should have known this. He is the first artist to actually pencil Wolverine, uh, officially in comics. So, uh, he had a long run with, with, uh, the Incredible Hulk. And one of the characters that was created during his run on Incredible Hulk was Doc Samson, which is a long time character. Yeah. Uh, in the late seventies and eighties, Trimpey, Mar- uh, Trimpey's Marvel work included licensed movie and TV franchises. He drew all but uh, issues four and five of the 24 issue Godzilla run. He drew all but one of the issues uh, of the 20 issues for Shogun Warriors, and he drew six issues of the Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. Uh, Trimpey penciled six of the first eight issues of Marvel's G.I. Joe comic and continued sporadically to contribute to the series until quite late in its run. He also wrote issue eight and co-wrote the two-part story in issues six and seven that introduced the October Guard, which I know is one of John's favorites. By the tail end of the series, uh, peak years, Trimpey seemed to be the go-to artist for G.I. Joe side projects, uh, where he was drawing nearly the entire spinoff series of G.I. Joe Special Missions, uh, all the profile pages for G.I. Joe Battle, uh, Order of Battle, and the crossover G.I. Joe and Transformers. Uh, years later, he, he was approached by Devil's Due Public Publishing to provide the cover for the final issue of G.I. Joe, America's Elite. And Trip, here's something interesting I didn't know. Trimpey was ordained a deacon in the Episcopal Diocese of New York on May 30th of 1992. <laughs> and his last convention appearance was in 2015 at the East Coast Comic Con in Secaucus, New Jersey. So we And we know for a fact he still was going to a lot of conventions, still very much in the business up until the very end. So, Well, it was, there was a long time where he wasn't doing shows, and he knew they were going on, but he, I guess he kind of felt a, a little oblivious to them or how his role would be like. Like, if I go to a show, what do I do there? You know? Uh, yeah. And he had been invited to a few to just speak or, uh, like as a guest, so he would go, but he just kind of wasn't, he didn't realize, hey, I could go set up at a show and one, make money, and two, people would want to come and talk to me. Like, he just seemed oblivious to that until it was like kind of mid to late 2000s. And uh, the first time I met him was up in Chicago. And I think Shannon didn't, we were on a, um, I don't know if this was in Chicago or not, but we were on a I was panel. was Heroes, when you guys did the Heroes panel. With uh, Jeremy Dale, With Trimpey too? and Jeremy, yeah, and Michael. Yeah, Cole. okay. All right, that's where that was, yeah. So we did a panel, just like a Joe panel, with all those guys. And um, that was the first time I met him. And then I'd seen him at quite a few shows after that. Uh, and just a very gracious guy. I mean, he was... G.I. Joe was just like another paycheck. You know, kind of like he was like, yeah. hey, it's just another job, you know. But uh, but he, he liked it. And um, I didn't realize he was... Uh, just like a bullpen staff artist at Marvel, like yeah. kind of during that time. And it wasn't until I was talking to, uh, 
Bob Camp, who is another G.I. Joe artist, uh, up in Edmonton this last summer. But he was a bullpen artist at Marvel, too, back back in that same time. And so we were all talking about her trip uh, just this last summer. Um, I think the last I saw him was at that Baltimore where we got the signature for Kevin. Okay. And I don't know if he's on anyone's top five list, so I, um, I know we can you obviously feel free to talk about him at that time as well. But um, I know I got to meet him at Baltimore Con a few years ago. Uh, I had him sign a few things, and then I also had him draw a beachhead for me. Uh, and and it was just one of those things that was like, yeah, it was just a cool piece, and uh, it was I guess, you know, when it comes to artists and everything else, especially being a fan of G.I. Joe, it was definitely on that, that bucket list of like, okay, I need, I got a piece drawn by uh, Larry Hama. I got a piece drawn by Herb Trimpey. So it was, it was very cool for me to get that done. Um, so, and he was a very nice guy, just very friendly, very outgoing, um, could, could not be a nicer guy chronically late from what I found out going to conventions, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, I remember when we went there, Chuck and I were very eager to meet him and get stuff signed by him and get a sketch if possible. And I remember everyone warned us like, well, he's, he's going to show up about 11, maybe 12 (laughs) (laughs) o'clock. And sure enough, I think he showed up like around 1130 or something like that. But, uh, but like you said, he was just very, once he was there, he was, you know, very gracious to everyone. Very nice. Uh, talked with everybody. So yeah, that's a really laid back dude. Yeah. I I have a real soft spot for Herb and I, I was really fortunate you know, it took me three conventions to track him down initially to get a to get a commission. Uh, but he he had family here in Richmond, and so he was very attached to the local show, the Virginia Con, which I'm part of now. And um, you know, so several times he would come to shows. He came to a one day show one time. Nobody was there much, and uh, Keith Knutson and I sat there and talked to him for probably an hour and a half nice. about <laughs> flying, because, you know, he was an avid pilot, owned planes, you know, much of his life, and he did a he did a graphic novel, you know, was, it was a, like, a, it wasn't a comic book size, you know, full-sized, you know, uh, dig- or, you know magazine-type uh, story about his favorite airplane, and, and so anyway, we talked to him quite a bit there. Well, last year, he came in for the show in November, and uh, I had picked up Larry Hama at the train station, and uh, we were at dinner at the hotel. And uh, so here's ten-year-old me flipping out, sitting there having dinner with Larry Hama, and then <laughs> sure. all of a sudden, in walks Herb and his wife, and he says, "Hey, John, it's good to see you." Ten-year-old me really lost it at that point, <laughs> and they sat down and, and started having dinner with us, and it was it was so funny. Uh, I have to, I. I'll just never forget this. He he sat down. We were in a Mexican restaurant, and he asked the young lady, "You know, do you what type of soup do you have?" And she said, "Oh, we have tortilla soup and something." And he said, "I'll have." To, he said, "I want something hot. I want something hot. I'll have tortilla soup." And he goes, "Do you know how to make a white Russian?" And she looked at him. And she said, "Well, no, but my bartender probably does." He goes, "Well, I want a white Russian. So if he can make me a white Russian, I want a white Russian and tortilla soup." I just thought it was the funniest thing. <laughs> this guy eating soup and drinking a white Russian. And uh, he ended up telling me I thought he typically would ride with his daughter and her family when they were here. And he said, well, no, I don't have – we don't have a ride for the week. So Larry Hama, Herb Trimpey and his wife, Billy Tucci, J.C. Vaughn, and Jacob, I think, in my van. And here I am driving these people. It, 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 was, it was just astounding. But he was such a sweet guy and um, – 
like you said, he was a bullpen guy, so he he knew how it worked. If you haven't read Marvel: The Untold Story, it's it it's a very interesting book, and in that and it paints him in a very positive light. You know, he kind of got screwed at the end of his tenure at Marvel, and yeah. you know, he was trying to ape the the image guys at that point. And, you know, he lost that job, and he ended up going to teach, and he taught for a while in public school, and he. Um, he worked as a chaplain after 9/11 at the World Trade Center, uh, you know, in in that area, and uh, just did a lot. And and again, sitting there and listening to he and Larry talk about planes, and I guess they were in a they were flying. He was flying a bunch of Marvel people one time in a storm in one of his small planes. I can't trade those experiences, and so uh, I'm glad we're finally getting around to talking a bit about him because when somebody texted me and told me that he had passed earlier this year, it was. Uh, yeah, you know, it was a sad one because I, you know, I really was so fortunate to get to spend some time with him outside of the con table, and uh, yeah, well, couldn't trade for that. So, yeah. Shannon, any uh, any thoughts or interactions or anything like that that you wanted to mention? I really just had met him at the shows, and and like Robert said, he was just always the nicest guy to me, and and I think someone introduced me as like, oh, this is the guy that's taking over Joe. And he just kind of looked at me, and I, I can't remember verbatim what he said, but it was really kind of along the lines of, "Oh, you poor bastard," or something like that. I mean, it was. <laughs> you, remember, you remember what he said? You remember what he said at that Heroes panel, right? Mm-hmm. He, he was. You guys were talking, and somehow it came to him, and he goes, "Well, you know, IDW doesn't pay for shit." And all of a sudden, you, Robert and Shannon were looking at each other like, mm-hmm. and Jeremy kind of shrugged. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was hilarious. Like. <laughs> There were, what, 15 people in the audience besides me. I mean, it was, again, one of those experiences you can't trade, but he, he did. Right. He just blurred out. He was doing covers yeah. for real hero at that point. And, uh, anyway, so. Yeah. Um, so the other artist that we that we lost this year uh, was Earl Norum, and it uh, he's an artist that maybe not a lot of people know, but uh, if you like Masters of the Universe, uh, you definitely would recognize his work. And he did a lot more than I, I thought he did. So uh, Earl Norum, born in April 17th of 1923. He passed away on June 19th of 2015. He would sign his work simply Norum. Uh, and he was an American artist, uh, primarily noted for his painted covers for men's adventure magazines, which were uh, published by Martin Goodman's uh, magazine management company. And for Goodman's line of black and white comics magazines affiliated with his Marvel Comics division. Over his career, Norum also illustrated covers for novels and gaming books, as well as movie posters, baseball programs, and trading cards. He saw military action in World War II with the 85th Regiment uh, of the 10th Mountain Division. Uh, He trained in Colorado and Texas and fought the Germans in the Northern Campaign, fought alongside alongside famed skier Torger Tokel, and whom he had seen ski jumping at Bear Mountain in New York. Uh, when he was 12. Uh, upon Tokel's battlefield death on March 3rd of 1945, Norum was one of the men assigned to retrieve his body from the mountain, and Norum himself later was wounded going into the Po Valley, ending his military career. Uh, upon returning to the U.S., Norum embarked on an illustration career, and uh, throughout the 50s and 60s, he worked extensively for men's adventure magazines, producing covers and interior art spreads. Uh, in, addition, in addition, he produced illustrations for such magazines as Reader's Digest, Field and Stream, Ski, Real West, and Discover. 
Uh, he worked on uh, Marvel Comics projects such as Savage Sword of Conan, which is probably where maybe even you guys have seen a lot of his work. Uh, He-Man Masters of the Universe magazine, Marvel Preview, Tales of the Zombie, Monsters Unleashed, Planet of the Apes, Rampaging Hulk, The Silver Surfer, and storybooks featuring Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. Uh, his Transformers work consisted of four Marvel Big, uh, Big Looker storybooks, which were made in 84 through 86. Um, some were adapted into read-along storybooks, and those were Battle for, Battle for Cybertron, The Great Car Rally, Car Show Blow-Up, and the story of Wheelie, the wild boy of Quintesson. Uh, Norm favored painting in acrylics, uh, and he, he later in his career, around 2005, he was suffering from arthritis, so he actually had retired only painting for his own amusement and for his grandchildren. Uh, he said in a 2005 interview, all the contacts that I had in the commercial art field are either retired or dead, and the younger art buyers don't want to buy anything uh, to do with an 81-year-old artist, which is a little sad to hear, because uh, I would have loved anything that he painted. <laughs> um, Earl Norum's Masters of the Universe illustrations managed to include elements from the barbarian version of the of the Masters of the Universe canon and the later Filmation canon, which, uh, while retaining the close resemblance to the toys themselves, on the one hand, there is a similarity to his Conan paintings. On the other hand, there's more of a colorful cartoon feel to his work as well. And if you see his Master of the Universe painted artwork, it's amazing. Uh, it, it really takes you back to like those the box art designs and everything else that you would see on, on toys back in the 80s and everything. So um, so that was Earl Norum. I don't know if you guys ever had the chance to meet him or, or really knew of his work or anything like that, but um, it was sad to see that he passed away as well this year. So. Yeah, I didn't know... Um when I heard that and then um, I was like, well, I don't, I didn't recognize his name. So when I looked it up, then I saw his work, then I immediately recognized his He-Man related stuff. And he just came from that generation where um, the, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, if you saw his work, you would, I got, I have that book, the uh, the art of He-Man and the masters of the universe that came out earlier this year. Yeah. And it's just like absolutely full of his stuff. Yeah. Um, It's just he uh, he just has such a cool kind of just that old school style. But yeah, man, if I would have bought like prints or originals or whatever, this this stuff it's just so nostalgic and cool. And he just came from that era of, you know, the just that painted magazine cover, you know, just all all the men, the manly men, you know, magazines that were coming out at the time. And they, they needed that that type of and style of painted cover art. And he was like. You know, that was his wheelhouse, you know what I mean? That's what it seemed to be a uh, majority of what he made his money on. So, yeah, but it was, uh, yeah. And it's like, I don't, I don't, I didn't know him personally or anything. And even it took me a second to look at his work, but as soon as I saw it, like, yeah, any you would definitely recognize it. That huge, um, Toys R Us poster, you know, yeah. that just has all the figures on it. Like everybody would recognize it if you saw it. Yeah. All right. Uh, any, I, anything I would, else? I, I, not about Norm, but I would be remiss if, in a in an art related uh, piece. Uh, we just actually yesterday heard about the, they announced the passing of George Barris, who yeah. was king of the customizers. And I did want to mention that um, you know Barris created the '66 Batmobile, yes, and the Monkey Mobile, and the Dragula, and the Jed Clampett car, and the Beverly Hillbillies, and. Uh, 
besides the 66 Batmobile is my favorite. Also, Black Beauty from the Green Hornet TV show. So, um, didn't it was 89. Didn't he also run. do like Kit and everything else too? He I did. Think. He did some Knight Rider stuff. I'm not r- really clear on what I, I don't. That you know, like one of the big pictures is basically all his 60s cars. Yeah. And you know, one of the really famous pictures of him with all those cars that he had done then. Uh, um. A, a master in another form for sure, but yeah. but a master nonetheless. So yeah. I did want to mention I saw that, and it, that was um, I was sorry to see that as well. Yeah, my wife was reading me the list of all the cars that he and, and vehicle designs that he did, and it, the list is just impressive as hell. Like it's pretty much almost every iconic vehicle you can think of. Like I think he even did the DeLorean for Back to the Future and stuff. So um if i remember right like i said the list was just super long that and i was like oh i know that vehicle i know that vehicle (laughs) so all right you guys ready to jump into the the artist list here yeah okay let's do it all right um actually shannon why don't you kick us off with your number five oh poop (laughs) um crap i didn't really like number them out that's fine just 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 pick one just pick one then it doesn't have to be in order of like importance or no. Okay. Um, well, I, I guess I'll just start off with uh, Gil Kane. Uh, when I was a kid, I got out of comics, and I probably I think I told this story before. But anyway, uh, I was sick for a while, and so my mom stopped by because she owned a drum shop, and next door was a comic comic store, and she just picked up a bunch of books. Well, the book that got me back into comics was Sword of the Atom. Oh yeah. And so I, I was always like a big Gil Kane fan when I was a kid. So most of my lists are, are guys that I feel influenced me as yeah, and, and my style in some way, shape, or form. And I just want to, like, before we get down this road, yeah. I'm not going to mention Butch Geis and Garcia Lopez at any point because anybody that knows me knows they're already at the top of the list. So right. mentioning them is kind of pointless <laughs> from my end. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, so anybody that, that Shannon's hugged doesn't make the list, but it's kind of like a, it's a given that they would be there. Yeah. Or, or wants to hug. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Butch told me he would pump me in the face if I tried to hug him. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, at least he told you beforehand. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. And I and I can say, and I'm sure this is true for all of us, I, I definitely can say like my top five list is people that uh, influence. I thought you were going to say you were going to punch me in the face. No, no. <laughs> I try to hug you. My top five list is definitely people that like influenced me for one reason or another, whether it was reading, you know, like you said, getting back into comics or, or just like something I saw of theirs just like blew me away and it, it caused me to start following them and it just, the ride continued to be awesome after that. So, um, all right. So John, why don't you go ahead with your. Okay. So uh, yeah, this is tough. Uh, I'm just going to throw out number five. I'm going to throw out Michael Golden. Okay. Nice. Uh, I think he uh, he's one of my quintessential GI Joe artists for sure. You know, he was so involved in the design of the October Guard, and uh, he drew my favorite vintage or the Marvel Run covers as issue 23, which is uh, Roadblock and Clutch with Cobra Commander, and they've got the Uzi pointed at his head, which I'm still, I guess, I'm surprised now that they let them put that on the cover of a comic book yeah. in that time. You know, because, I mean, it's not like it's off to the corner. Or it's up against his head. And I mentioned it to, to uh, Golden when I first met him. I said, you know, I had him sign a couple things, and I said, you know, I just have to tell you this is my favorite cover of all time uh, the, of that of, of Joe. And he said, that's the first thing I ever drew for them. 
um, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. But he also – watching him at conventions drawing is, is something to behold because he starts at one end of the page and ends at the other, and it's everything he sees in his head apparently. Um, heard him get – he came to Richmond a couple years ago and spoke at the Edgar Allan Poe Museum when they had some of his um, – artwork from a really early Marvel work that he did. And he did a 70-minute lecture on storytelling, and it was fascinating. He's uh, he's had a very interesting life and just a very talented guy. And so there there you go. Nice. Very nice. Uh, Robert, uh, who do you got on your list? Uh, so I would say, let's see, Carlos Pacheco. Okay. Um, so for me... I have a couple of like kind of the older old school artists, um, and what I found was a lot of the artists that I currently like or have influenced, what I would call it, kind of say my current style or whatever, uh, are more say modern modern artists. But a lot of them were influenced by that '60s and '70s generation artists, um, and so you know I, I think I could blanket say that like the. The Bashemas and the Neil Adams and the Gene Colans and all those guys who kind of just really established that superhero model. Great, there um, goes my like, list. <laughs> I'm not saying don't – you can definitely talk about them. But what I'm saying is that a lot of the guys on my list were, in fact, influenced by that whole generation. And yeah. so it's a little – but at this point, I'm like third generation kind of being influenced by those guys. And so um, I – I was introduced to my list of artists first because that's when I got into comics, that's who I was reading. And even as I was studying how to be an artist or get better, I would look at how these guys would problem solve on the page, whether it be rendering or storytelling. And it was like an epiphany when I went back and read a black and white Neil Adams comic, like the showcase or whatever it was that DC put out, you know, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the newsprint versions. I was like, oh my gosh, this, <laughs> this is like just the style and the dynamics and the physiques and the even rendering was just almost pulled directly from Neil Adams and stuff. I was looking at some of these South American artists that I like now. and Anyway, that, that was just like an epiphany for me. Um, now, Carlos Pacheco, he's a, a Spanish artist. Um, I first was familiar with his work back on the X-Men run he did in the 90s. And I liked his flair and... Um, just uh, the the figure uh, poses and how dynamic they were. They were just almost not like Todd McFarlane contorted, but uh, at the same time, just like just way more. I don't know. It just really spoke to me how dynamic he could push the boundaries of like the way a figure would move. And then his run on Avengers Forever yeah. was oh, yeah. just that was, was just like my bible for years yeah. of just like how to draw comics and how to how to draw figures and and pacing and storytelling, like I just examined that book like a textbook. Uh, and in more recent years, I think he's kind of gotten away from what initially drew me to him as his work. I don't, I mean, it's just everybody's work evolves from various influences. And so he's kind of pulled away from uh, what I loved so much about his stuff before. And I think a lot of it actually had to do with some of his inkers at the time. So his, uh, his inker, and his, again, his style would change and refine over years, but, he had Art T. Bear as an inker in the 90s. And then when he got Jesus Marino as an inker on Avengers Forever, it was after that that his work started, like, um, I guess, solidifying a bit more, you know, just like yeah. becoming a lot more anatomically, say, correct, but then not as dynamic either. Yeah. Um, and then as Jesus Marino would go off and draw on his own, I mean, he was an inker, but 
who's just a fully artist himself, then you could see when he draws his own work, like how much they, I think they worked in the same studio in Spain. And so typically when that happens, when you're in the same room with a bunch of other guys and they're all drawing, you start to appropriate each other's styles. And it was kind of neat to see how similar their work was, but yeah. You know what anyway, I like so, about? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Finish what you were saying. Oh, I was just going to say, I would just kind of wrap up just that, that he was like one, a very influential artist for me, right. As I was going through school, like, like late high school and going through college as I was trying to develop a style for myself. Like he was the first artist that I would just buy anything he drew and, and really studied as an artist. What were you going to say, Shannon? No, I was going to, one of the things that attracted me to his work was, you know, so many guys, especially in American comics, it seems like if they're not drawing the Liefeld kind of overly muscled figures, they're doing like almost lanky kind of like Neil Adams figures are very elongated. They're very almost mm-hmm. like gymnasts. They tend to have like packed muscles, but they're not bulky. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they almost look like Bruce Lee in, Re- in uh, Return of the Dragon or The Way of the Dragon. And the thing I liked about Carlos Pacheco is his figures had this beefiness to them. You know, it was like they just had the commanded this presence when they were on the on the page, but they didn't look overly done. You know what I mean? Like their muscles weren't so incredibly large that they were unrealistic. These just look like massive guys that you did not want to mess with. Yeah. And then he always drew these, like, I always called them like big sausage fingers. Yeah. And I just, I love those hands. Like he just had these hands that you just, you could picture picking up a rock and just crushing it, you know, but yeah. it was still within that realm of believability. It was like, that's what I want my heroes to look like when I yeah. look at somebody. Yeah. It's what, it's what I realized that you don't, you need to know every muscle, but you don't have to draw every muscle. And I think that was yeah. kind of like the mistake a lot of those 90s artists were making. And maybe earlier on in his career, he was doing that too. But th- as he started softening it up, and especially by the time he got into like Avengers Forever and his Fantastic Four run, like I realized, yeah. okay, it's it's the understanding of those muscles and the contours that those create, you need to nail. I mean, you have to have that, you got to nail that down. But you ha- uh, but it doesn't mean you have to draw every one of those muscles just because you understand it's there. Yeah, you could you could see them under the clothing. That was what was so cool. It was like yeah. it, it still felt like they were wearing something. Yeah. Know, it didn't look like it was painted on. The '90s artists didn't also, didn't only just draw every muscle, but they also drew every vein you saw, every pore, yeah. every every well, pouch. They would, <laughs> they would make up every you know. They'd be making yeah. up muscles too. Right. Not a yeah. <laughs> twenty-six pack. Right. I used to think like I remember what, shoot, how old was I? Sixth sixth grade, seventh grade. I I realized. Oh, that's it. This that's the secret to drawing leg muscles is just draw as many lines as you can. <laughs> like it was this crazy like epiphany for me. I was like, that's it. And I drew this Wolverine drawing where he's got like seven quadricep muscles just <laughs> running the length of his leg and you know And you're I, like, That's not it. That's not he's, it. He's no, out I, running thought I, I thought I nailed it. I thought this is it, man. This is a, like put me to work right now. Nice. All right. Uh my my uh, number five on my list was Darwin Cook. Uh, there was a reason why I was very uh, adamant on getting his autograph when I was at Baltimore, and John can attest to this. Like I went back to his table, I don't know how many times to see if he was there. Waited in line only to find out, like, okay, he's done signing for this for today or this afternoon. I went back again and again because. I am a huge fan of his artwork. And I knew he had been around for a long time, but I don't think he really got his style that we know as Darwin Cook until probably in the last 10 years or so. Um, 
And what the the one that just blew me away was New Frontier. When he did New Frontier, I I picked it up and I read it. Now it was like he's got a a style that is very good for modern storytelling, but it looks like something that came out of like the golden age. Um, and when they when DC did their cover month that was all Darwin Cook covers, I got almost every single one of them because just what you bought every cover of something. All, yeah, oh, I know. Are you shocked? Really? <laughs> Are you shocked? By that? <laughs> um, so, but I had it was just it was Darwin Cook, and it was it got me excited. And uh, unfortunately, to bring up uh, uh, the sad passing of Jeremy Dale, one of the things I was very excited about too was from his Skyward was I think it was supposed to be issue ten or, or eleven or something like that was going to have a uh, incentive cover that was done by Darwin Cook for Skyward, uh, and I got to see what the cover looked like, and it, it was amazing. So. Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm a big fan of his artwork, uh, and and much like anyone else on my list, like if I see that his name is on a book, I will pick it up just because I know that the art is going to be something that I enjoy. Hey Ryan, did you read his adaptations of the Parker books? I have not. With IDW? They're great. They're really good. Okay. They're really fun. Yeah, I'd highly recommend those. I'll have to if check those out. Yeah. Yeah. He gave I, a. Um, no, it was interesting because when the first Parker book came out he did a lecture at the national portrait gallery oh and uh he was talking about like one of the things granted he's already got a simplified style but he said with the parker stuff he was trying to see how little he could put on a page and still tell the story oh. it was almost like this experiment form of kind of combining graphic design yeah. with his illustration style it's a beautiful book nice i'll definitely have to check that out um but yeah and well and like you said his style is very simple but it's so effective and i think that's what i really like with some artists is like, you don't have to do like what you were just talking about. You don't have to do the 20 muscles in one leg to, and have it ultra detailed for you to be effective. And, uh, that's the thing I I really liked about his artwork. It's just, it tells the story really effectively and just has this nice stylized look. And and because it's stylized, it might not be for everybody, but it, it surely, it, it definitely hit a, a nerve or a, not a nerve, but (laughs) it hit the right mark for me. So, all right. Uh, Shannon, who's your, who's next there for you? Um, well, uh, to kind of keep with that, uh, guy that, I thought really kind of played with older styles, but bringing them into a modern format. And he's kind of dropped off the map a little bit lately, but um, Steve Rude. Oh, okay. Oh, oh yeah. nice um, choice. Yep. I've always really enjoyed his work, you know, all the way back onto Nexus and stuff. But I love how his his work had that kind of throwback feel. I mean, even when you were reading something current, it still had that weird amalgam of, like, Alex Toth and Jack Kirby and you know, a little bit of Wally Wood, and it was just this weird collection of things. And it always felt natural. It always felt like a fit. And especially when he did the um, the fact that he was such a huge Hanna-Barbera fan, when he did the Space Ghost thing for Comico. Oh, yeah. I just, I loved that book. And he put out that, the Steve Root sketchbook when I was uh, in high school. And I remember buying that, and half of it was just drawings that he had done of other stuff. Like, he was a big Loomis fan, and N.C. Wyeth and all these other guys, and he was just kind of copying drawings from other illustrators, uh, which a lot of fans probably didn't catch on, but it was just amazing to see his take on things. And he had, in the insert, he had kind of his color process where he would do color sketches of covers before he did the finals. It was almost like a a textbook for me. And he's just always been one of my favorites. 
Nice. It, you know, it's interesting. What he was at the he came to the Virginia Con last year. He was a, a very interesting, <laughs> yes. very interesting fellow. But uh, it, it, you, you mentioned the the you know the the comics, Pete, the work. You know, a lot of his sketches and things they always scream '60s to me too. Like I, yeah, he does. You know, he'll do sketches, a handful of sketches at shows, and the things I've seen him do over the last couple of years. You know, I think of those. I think of '60s when I see it. But his oil work, his paintings and figure stuff is just unbelievable. And I think it it's goes back because they were they were leaving here. They were leaving Richmond to go. He had his family, and they were going to Baltimore or somewhere. And they were going to – it was – and I forget the painter and I apologize, but someone like a Wyeth or somebody like that, they were going to some, – somewhere there's a collection. They were going to check out this collection and spend some time there. But you know, he teaches these uh, painting classes all over the country, and uh, it's, it's really interesting to see how disparate the work is and how it's – they're both tremendous. But you can't – I don't see Nexus in these oil paintings. Yeah, you know, the, you know, he did like a Wonder Woman on the farm, which is just gorgeous. But it only to me, I don't see the. It, it's hard to believe it's the same person to me. But he's extremely talented. But I, 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 you know, and John can speak to this better. But he's kind of a troubled soul, a little bit. Um, he's he's but he's always been nice to me. Like I've heard horror stories of of how he talks to people, but. The first time I met him was in Baltimore, and he gave me a portfolio review, and he was just really encouraging and really nice. Uh, and it was funny because I learned a lot from him in like two hours that he spent with me. So I, I have a soft spot for the guy, even though sometimes he's a little out there. <laughs> he, he is an interesting individual. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, anytime you can refer to yourself in the third person as the dude and get away with it, like, that's saying a lot. I'm, I'm the bow. Yeah, 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 the bow. <laughs> All right, John, who do you have? Sure. Um, hmm. So, as a, a growing up and reading books in the 80s and reading books that I was probably not, probably shouldn't have been reading from an age perspective, um, Howard Chaikin. Okay. Nice. Uh, I thought we would pull out some cherry pop tart or something. No, 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 no. No, <laughs> no but if you if you've Andrew read Teen Love, <laughs> if you've read American Flag or or better yet his his Black run Kiss. on Shadow and yeah Black Kiss, um, his DC Shadow, which is still I, I just love that book. It's it, it, it yeah, looks like it, it's a period in time. It looks like the eighties. He has his. When you see Jake and you know it's Jake and yeah. Oh, yeah, and I like it. I always have. He was super nice to me. The, the several times I've talked to him, he's super cool. He's he is a filthy mouth son of a gun. <laughs> He'll tell you that. I've, oh, yeah. I mean, he's a he is a New York guy, and he just he 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 uh, he paints in obscenities like the old man in a Christmas story. And, and, and it doesn't matter who's around. I remember Daniel was going to get him to sign a poster one time at, a, at North Carolina con. And he was just going off where well, here's this six year old kid. And he's like, we well, signed my poster. And he's like, Oh sure. And he signed it. And then he went right back to cursing. But, uh, but anyhow, no, I just, I, I, I have, you know, been I followed his work forever. I, it was funny when he did micronauts, he was Howie Chaikin back then. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I, Neat guy, 
again, that art of that, those eighties books just resonates with me and continues to resonate with me. So, yeah. And I will say when it comes to Chaikin, and I've mentioned this on the show in the past, like when it comes to that older Chaikin, like you're talking about there, you know, when he did star Wars and Micronauts and stuff, like, that's the Howard Chaikin stuff. I like, I am not too much of a fan of his modern day look, his modern day style. It looks like, Everyone looks like they were stung with a bee, and they're like their faces are ballooned out a little bit more and stuff like that. It's kind of the same thing for me with uh, John Romita Jr., where I liked his, John Romita Jr.'s early stuff. I don't not a big fan of his current day stuff. Uh, same thing with Chaikin for me. I love his early stuff, but his modern day stuff, I'm not a big fan. But um, he did do some Joe work. He did the Hearts and Minds, which he did, and he told me that, uh, and he did a bunch of covers for yeah, lots of covers. Shannon was, was working on that. the regular Joe book, yeah. yeah. And he told me when I had him do Chuckles in my sketchbook, he first of all he thanked me for buying the book, and I said, "Well, no, appreciate you drawing." He said, "I'm not going to be doing any more work for IDW, and I think it's going to be a tenor in this show, or at least from the last couple episodes." Um, I said, "Oh, I'm sorry to hear that." He goes, "Yeah, they told me I cost too much," <laughs> and. Uh, I said, well, sorry to hear that. And uh, anyway, so <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Yeah. That's twice now. Yeah. In case, in case anybody from that uh, publishing company is listening. So. <laughs> Apparently I come cheap. If I got if I got there heard, in the last one. So. We've heard that about you with the the black meat. So. Oh, start gosh. <laughs> Don't start. <laughs> All right, uh, Robert. Who you I will got? snap a bat. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out. He's going to run up a wall and do a backflip or something. <laughs> um, all right. So my next guy is uh, uh, Dan Jurgens. Oh, um, yeah. Nice. Now, I – again, this was kind of in my kind of formative years as I was starting to read comics and starting to – under trying to understand storytelling. Like there were, there were people I would look at for, man, they draw real pretty. You know, or they just draw like a really cool image. Uh, how are they doing that? It was a – in what was it in, in the death of Superman arc, which was a big publicized, I mean, it was just a money grab event from DC, but what? at the same time, what really? Yeah, no, <laughs> but the uh, but as I jumped on the bandwagon, you know, at the time, and I was reading, I don't remember exactly which issue it's from, but it's the moment where uh, uh, where Doomsday he hasn't broken out of like that green suit yet. You know what I mean? He still has one arm behind his back and he's fighting the, uh, the justice league of the time, which was like blood wind and guy Gardner and fire and booster gold. A list. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, <laughs> the cream of the crop there. And, uh, and Superman's having his, uh, he's doing some news interview or something. It's cut back and forth. So when doomsday grabs, uh, like Blue Beetle, and he's just a normal dude, right? So he grabs him by the head. I don't know if you guys can picture this moment. And he throws him in the air, right? And then all the other heroes are trying to grab Blue Beetle out of the air because he just chucks him way up. And he's already gotten, like, pummeled and his head smashed and stuff. So they're all trying to get to him in time before he hits the ground. And there's this one-page sequence where Blue Beetle's body is just, like, flung in the air, and there's a two or three panel sequence where as it's falling and the, all the other heroes are trying to get to him, but Doomsday is fighting him off. Like specifically not to hurt them, but just to keep them from saving Blue Beetle from just hitting the ground. And then you just see him just splat, you know, just hit the ground and, and just crumpled kind of broken body look to him. And I was just like, whoa. Because <laughs> for me, like, I, I mean, I was, uh, I don't know, I was like 12 or 13 at the time or something like that. So like reading in comics like seeing that and there was no dialogue so just seeing the art 
tell that story of uh, just the combat and the motion and this him flying through the air. Yeah, the splat, you know, just seeing that tra- storytelling, that whole visual aspect and being like, wow, like this whole moment was really cool to see and moving and and just seeing the figure dynamics of how the body would react as it's kind of thrown and bouncing off the ground or whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, it just really resonated with me. Like it really kind of introduced me to the idea that like this isn't just about drawing pretty pictures or something that looks cool. <laughs> You know, it's about conveying that story. And so he was the artist on that. And it's not even to say that, I mean, I really do respect Dan Jorgen's art and, and I like it. It's, but to me, like the, he was just the artist at that pivotal moment where I was looking at the storytelling and it really kind of hit me. So I really dig his stuff because awesome. of that. Awesome. Yeah, I, I love this stuff. If I if I see Jorgen's on something, I'm like, okay, that's, at least I know it's going to be drawn well. So yeah. And it's like I was—I mean, from that moment too, I was a big Booster Gold fan, and he's always been a big part of that character. So oh yeah, I, I followed him mostly because of the characters and because of that. Yeah. Uh, my number four is uh, Alex Ross. Uh, mm. I my—I've said many times on the show that my favorite uh, comic story in all of comics is uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. While my number two favorite story of all time is Kingdom Come. Uh, which has got a uh, is an awesome Alex Ross <laughs> art all the way through the through the series, and then uh, the other thing that I absolutely love that he did was Justice, uh, which is the way I've always described Justice. It's uh, especially for people that listen to this show is uh, take GI Joe Resolute is like the uh, the cartoon is like the grown-up version of the G.I. Joe cartoon from the 80s. Well, Justice, to me, was the grown-up version of the Super Friends. You had, you know, Oh, cool. You have, like, the Legion of Doom and, and everything else. You have the same characters that you saw in Legion of Doom, and you have all the same characters you saw in the in the Super Friends, as far as being the Super Friends. And it is, it is those characters going up against each other, but it's a lot more grown-up. <laughs> and it's Alex Ross art in it and he actually helped write the story as well and it was just a fun read and uh an intense read and like and he obviously does a ton of covers he does a ton of he actually did uh for the absolute edition um he did the slipcase cover for christ of the infinite earths um it's a sh- I have also he there was those huge treasure size editions of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman that uh, one was yeah. called War and one was called Hope and I can't remember what the Wonder Woman one was called, um, but I have those also and it has his artwork in it which is just gorgeous in there. Um, it's a, it's a shame that he I understand why it doesn't happen anymore but it's a shame we don't see a lot of interiors from him anymore. Uh, it's pretty much covers that we see. Uh, at this point, but, uh, you know, kingdom, kingdom come and justice were, you know, that's where he did do interior work and it's marvels. It's breathtaking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Marvels too. Yeah. First one. Yeah. Which that's amazing to look at too. That's absolutely uh, amazing. Uh, He has a couple, uh, shoot, I'm trying to find them real quick just so I could get the title. He has a couple art books that came out. One of them was, a just his sketches. Yeah. yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's there's one that's called Rough Justice, which is yeah, that one. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. That's just amazing. I love to see his pencil work, like his yeah. sketch 
underdrawings and layouts and stuff. It's he's a phenomenal artist. Well, and that's the cool thing because I have the absolute edition of Justice. I have the issues, but I also have the absolute edition. And the absolute edition, when you go to the back, it talks about each character that's in there, and you see his pencil work in there as well. Yeah, yeah that's cool. So. The thing I, I liked about him when he when he did uh, Kingdom Come and all that, even the characters that don't have anything to do with the story in the background, it, you could tell that he did like a full design for them. Oh yes. yeah, you know he really he really put a lot of thought into that. And I know some people I like I know other people that don't care for his artwork because they think his costume designs are a little cheesy or whatever. But just the fact that he was putting the time in because you knew he was he was into those characters. Oh yeah, like you knew he was into the whole story. And so it, it just, you know, like the wedding scene in Marvels where he's got the Beatles sitting in the background. Yeah. And, you know, he would just throw stuff in. Didn't matter if anybody caught it. It was in there if you wanted, you know, if you found it, great. And if you didn't, no big deal. Yeah. Which he's actually doing stuff for the the Beatles now. Uh, oh, is he? He's actually yes, doing some art is. for the Beatles at this point. So, um, so and, and I've seen some of the stuff posted online, and it's amazing looking. <laughs> so, um, yeah. but yeah, he's at a point in his career now where he he can just take the jobs that he wants to do, the stuff that he loves to draw, and the stuff he loves to paint. So, um, you heard you heard our, you heard Uncle Sal on Comic Geeks yes. talking about that too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so. He, he, he did. He did some Battle of the Planet stuff that was really cool too. Oh yeah, those, those are great. great. Yeah, he those did. And he did those uh, Star, uh, Space Ghost covers. Yes. Yep. And he also did the Six Million Dollar Man covers that were just yes. Those yes. Are, those are gorgeous too. But yeah, you're right, Shannon. There's some people that are just like it. There, and there's a. I mean, there's another guy on my list that people are going to say, "Well, that's a cliched pick." And Alex Ross sometimes is a cliched pick, but it. I'm sorry, I love his art. It's absolutely beautiful to see and uh i wish again like i said i wish we saw more interiors from him these days but uh i'll take what what we were able to get so well he was one of the first guys to, to mainstream like painted covers and to, yeah. to show uh you know a figure like what they would actually look like if they were wearing a superhero outfit you know what yeah. i mean and and that wasn't done at all like because he came about in the late 90s right right with with marvels and that was like the opposite of what everybody else was drawing and yeah so it came it, he was very distinct like i have those big uh the oversized comics too like yeah i absolutely love that stuff it's so good to look at now yeah not now anymore it's like i see his cover and it's very you obviously can tell it's alex ross and i do right. respect him immensely as an artist but like because he doesn't cover anymore that's not doesn't, doesn't mean i'm gonna buy it no but no I, exactly but i i definitely like respect it and I love it, but I would I prefer to watch see his like his sketches and his pencil work. Yeah. Now, if they came out with a book that was Alex Ross covers, I would buy. Well, I would that. buy that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I'm the same way. I don't buy an issue now just because it has his cover on it or yeah. his artwork on the cover. But um, but yeah, I still love seeing his artwork on stuff. Well, he's and he's just like the epitome of a comic like big business. Yeah. Comics. I mean, you go to it for the longest time. Like every wizard show. He was the you know, guest, you know, honor guest of honor, and he, had, he would just this enormous booth selling his uh, sketches for five grand, and it's, yeah, <laughs> it's just crazy. And, and you know what's funny with him too? I I don't think this was on Comic Geek Speak. I think I heard this on All Yeah podcast with Art and Franco. He is a big Mego guy. Okay, kind of tying in earlier. Sure. And so he showed up. There's a Mego meet that Art Balthazar helps run now in Skokie, Illinois, at his at All Yeah Comics. And Alex Ross showed up, and Art was the only person who knew who he was. Oh. Because, you know, people weren't there. They weren't comics fans. They right. were Mego fans. 
I think that's I think uh, yeah. But anyway, he he kind of acknowledged who he was, and he just had his hat pulled down and act like he didn't want to be known. But nice. you know, Art kind of freaked out knowing he there Alex Ross was there. Yeah. So. <laughs> Maybe that'll be Travis's in to get something from him is uh, yeah. make him a custom Mego. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Works for me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Shannon. Who you got next? Uh, I'm gonna kind of stick with what Robert was talking about with Dan Jurgens, but uh, someone that he worked with, which is Stuart Eminen. Oh, nice. Oh, man. Um, Surprise. Yeah, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a creature of habit, aren't I? <laughs> um, but he's he's probably out of the kind of current crop of guys that are working. He's the one that I just kind of go to on a yeah. daily basis. Yeah. Um, and I love the fact that he's constantly playing with his style. Like sometimes it's it's super realistic. Um, like when he did the Hulk, it was all these heavy shadows. And then on his amazing Spider-Man stuff or ultimate Spider-Man stuff, it was almost cartoonish where there wasn't a lot of shadow work. It was more or like line. next wave. Yeah. Same yeah. Thing. Next wave. It was, it was almost freaky looking like the, the characters yeah. were almost exaggerated cartoon characters. Like you'd see an Aeon flux or something. Yeah. And he's always playing with the medium and, and he and his wife, when they do their independent stuff, it's always really well thought out and, they're kind of playing with storytelling and, and design. And um, I go to his site a lot and look at just kind of sketches that he's done. And I've bought his Centrifolia sketchbooks. And he's just, he's never kind of content with one thing and he's just going to stick with it. He's always playing around with it. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's definitely one of the guys who I think probably has some of the strongest storytelling and chops when it comes to the figure. Nice. Yeah, and just having the figure move around and yeah. just understand the forms. I mean, you can't you can't abstract uh, and be that versatile without understanding it because you have to have that knowledge before you push and pull those proportions around. Yeah, and it's you weird just, because when he started out, I thought he was just a, a Adam Hughes clone because when I first saw him on what was it Legion of Superheroes or whatever yeah. it was back, you know, his stuff looked kind of like Adam's work off of Justice League. So I kind right. of just kind of stuck him in that category of like, oh, I like his work, but he's really just doing Adam Hughes. And he's just gone all over the place with it. And it's just, I, I think he's really grown. I think, I, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll stop now. No, you're fine. Because I, well, I, I was going to say uh, one of the things, too, was when I heard, and I know I mentioned this in an earlier episode, like when I heard that Cassidy was going off of Star Wars, I was like, oh, that stinks. But the second I heard Eminem was going to be on, I was like, well, better. Like I was yeah. <laughs> static when I heard that his name was going to be on Star Wars because I have been loving his artwork for quite a while now. So, and that's the what? only thing that's made me run to a comic shop on opening day. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, honest to God, I, every Wednesday that his book comes out on Star Wars, I am at the door. Yeah. So, Robert, you were. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I was going to say, I think, I think you're right. I think when he first started at, at doing DC stuff, he probably was very much like an Adam Hughes clone because he was looking at what's popular at the time. I think everybody does that to a certain yeah. extent. You have those influences that get you work. Um, I, when I was at New York Comic Con, I was sitting next to Dave Finch as he was as he was uh, doing a portfolio review for somebody. And and his biggest critique of the guy's stuff was like, well, I like your stuff. It just, the reason why you're not getting work, it was solid storytelling, solid figures. But the reason why he was like, you're not getting work because you don't draw like anybody else. And he was like, to get that first job, you almost need that. You need to be marketable. And 
it goes after the fact, then you can actually start experimenting or try to do more and more influence of your own thing or, or spread out. But he, he goes, a lot of times you just need that initial kind of brand recognition almost, you know, to say, all right, we could see this on our books. Um, now, there's always exceptions to those rules, but I think, yeah, I'm, I'm positive Stuart Eminem started that way. But I think it's a testament to his ability as an artist to branch out from that and then to really explore because yeah. he is just a chameleon of styles. And yeah. I, there are so many books I've gone back and I was like, oh, who's this fill-in artist? Dang, it's not the guy I like. And then I found out years later, oh, wait, that was Stuart Eminem. Yeah. <laughs> he was just drawing completely different. And I look back on it now and I, and I like it. I didn't like it at the time because it wasn't the main artist and I didn't put much thought into it because I was expecting to see somebody else. You know, I think... Uh, Oh, the big example was uh, when Carlos Pacheco was on Fantastic Four, and he was going, and I was just always looking for that next issue. And then Stuart Eminem did a fill-in. I was like, ah, oh, fill-in artist, boo. Which is totally like who, who we are now, which cracks me up. But then, uh, hey, <laughs> hey, I'm talking about myself here, yeah. So then, then you know, but then I go back and look at those issues. I'm like, actually, these are really good. And I just, you know, that was the mentality I was in. But yeah, so I, I he. He's, have you ever tried to talk to him, Shannon, like at a show? Oh, I, John can tell you I was bugging the hell out of him at the Charlotte show. <laughs> I was seriously yeah, getting on his nerves. You were just talking about his desk, which I think impressed yeah. you to some extent. Yeah, because it, it, he's the only guy I know that's bought one of those Amish stand-up desks. So I was oh, just yeah. grilling him and his wife about it. And so I got into this whole conversation with them, and it was kind of like, oh, okay, he's not like some dweeb that's... You know, going to stand here and ask me 500 times, do you do commissions and sketches, which I have to say no to. And uh, right. But I, I think even I worn out my welcome after a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's an interesting fellow. Like, he's he's just so your atypical, you know, kind of big. He's a, I mean, the thing is, it's only been in the last, well, I, I guess it's probably been in the last five to seven years that he's really blown up. Like oh, anything yeah. he draws, everybody wants to buy. Everybody yeah. wants to draw like him. And you see all these guys who are just almost complete copycats of his style. Yeah. Yeah, I'm working um, on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's and that's only been in the last five or seven years. He's been working solidly for 20 years as a regular yeah. comic book artist. Yeah. So it's just kind of neat to see even that late in his career, he it just kind of came about. But it's as you talk to him, he's not like, oh, check me out. Right. Like the complete yeah, opposite of that. It's almost like he should be teaching physics or something, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like he comes across like a high school teacher or something. Yeah. And I never – what amazes me is every time I see him at a show, he doesn't have like a huge line. I yeah, don't understand people that. People don't know who he is. Like even though he has a banner, <laughs> I think they don't quite understand. He's just not – and he's not a salesman either. He's not sitting there trying to work the table. Yeah. He's, he's literally just sitting there. <laughs> I don't know. All right, John, who do you, who you got? Uh, my next one will not be a shock because he's been discussed on this show several times before. Uh, it's Thank Walt you. Simonson. Huh. <laughs> and, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, Simonson is, is my Thor artist. Yes. yes. Um, I, he obviously has done a lot more than that. Uh, the, the saga of the uh, 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 Batlash <laughs> sketch that I still want in my <laughs> Judas Coin book. Uh, you know, just a, a master, and I'll tell you, he he is one that, folks. If you're not following him on Facebook, y- you should, because mm-hmm. he posts pencils, and I could sit there and just stare at those for hours. Yeah, there's so much going on, 
it, it's mind-boggling sometimes just the the amount of detail um and uh yeah so i, I he was he was going to be on the list and he's been discussed before and so there there you go walt simonson yeah and he he's definitely the you know is his art is what i think of when i think of thor i mean it's hands down that's what i picture in my head and i've really been enjoying his uh ragnarok series my only complaint is i wish it came out a little bit more uh frequently uh it's it's been delayed many times but Every time I get an issue, it's really good, and I'm really enjoying it. But yeah, his run on Thor is the definitive run on Thor. Um, it was so funny. I had an editor one time telling me like not to look at Simonson. And I was <laughs> like, well, what are you talking about? And the guy's like, well, you know, I've worked with Walt before, and, and when we tell him, Walt, we need a close-up here, all he does is make the panel smaller around the head. <laughs> it's like he only draws the figures at one size. It's like he has his way of them. That's how he's going to draw it. When you want a close up, he's just going to make the panel box smaller around that head. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I I first met him when I was down at Savannah College of Art and Design. He came down quite often as like a guest lecturer for. Um, we did something called the Comics Art Forum, and they would bring in other artists, and then there'd even be editors' days and stuff where they'd fly in editors. But it was a uh, he would just do seminars where there'd be like five or six of us in the room and we'd have a three hour seminar that he would kind of do art tutorials and stuff with us. And so he was one of the first like major artists who I knew as a fan and then met and had opportunity to learn from. And his lectures were just phenomenal. It just really taught me the bare bones of storytelling and things that um, while I was there, to learn storytelling in classes. Like he always had all just this additional information that uh, just how to direct the eye and, and just things that I use every day, stuff that I'm doing right now on the page I'm drawing right now is stuff I learned from him in, in these half a dozen seminars that I got to do. And then it was, so, it was so, he's so cool. Him and his wife, uh, Wheezy, they, they, we would, they would just invite us all out to dinner. We would all just like, it was the coolest weekend to get to hang out with them and, and so as I was talking to him about, he was also one of the first artists I talked to about like the life of a comic artist. Like, how do you deal with the schedules and the freelance and all this stuff? And he's like, well, he goes, this is where I'm going to have to tell you guys that I don't practice what I preach. He goes, this is what you should do. And it's like, build a schedule, be organized, <laughs> this, 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 which of course I didn't take to heart. And then he said, <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. Yeah, I was just going to let it go. <laughs> Well, you practiced so, what, what he did, so... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I instead followed his example. No, I actually don't do that either. But he he was like, what what he does is he is a gaming fanatic. Which, like, video games. Like, he... Wow. He wow. Is a, he is absolutely addicted to video games. <laughs> and so, at the time, we were... I forget what he was drawing at the time. It was, like, Elric or something. And... Um, <laughs> He was like some Legend of Zelda game had just come out. And he was like, yeah, I basically do, uh, I play Legend of Zelda for two and a half weeks straight and just like marathon it. And then he does his layouts for the 22 pages in like a day or a day or two. And he's just so fast at what he does. (laughs) Then he draws his issue in about a week and a half. And so he does roughly three pages a day. Wow. And then and then he gets back to his video gaming. <laughs> like that's, 
that's his schedule. And it he's like, it drives your editors crazy. Do not do this. And so, like, yeah. so that's what he's doing. He's he, at conventions. That's what he's doing. He's he and Weezy are hanging out in his hotel room, right. and he's playing Call of Duty or something. <laughs> and that's why he's always late because he's playing a damn video games. That's very interesting. <laughs> anyway, well, so yeah, it was. I don't know. Like I. He is just such a an awesome awesome guy. Like if you ever meet them, meet him at a show, especially if you're an artist. Like just getting, he's a fantastic teacher. So yeah. getting portfolio reviews from him is just invaluable. Yeah, I, I met him at a super show the one year when him and uh, Louis Simonson were uh, guests there, and we waited in line to get uh, a sketch done and. Um, I and Chuck says, well, I I don't really need a sketch from him, but if you want me to get a second character for you i will so i was like oh great because i couldn't decide between two characters uh i knew i wanted him to draw beta ray bill and i knew again knew it was cliched but i love the character of beta ray bill so i was so chuck got that one uh drawn for me and then he was working on the time uh the world of warcraft series and he was writing it he wasn't drawing yeah. it and uh he so i asked him if he could draw brol which was this night elf and he goes and he looked at me and he goes he goes, you know that I just write the series, right? And I go, oh, yeah, I know. I just want to see how you would draw the character. <laughs> so he, yeah. he, he was happy to draw them and everything. But that So that was really cool. Um, and then I had him sign a, a Star Wars issue because it was um, a Star Wars issue where he did the art. And Louise actually, I think, was like an editor on it or something like that. And it was before they were married to each other. So it's oh, actually cool. it said Louise Jones on it instead of Louise Simonson. So um, so they got a big kick out of that, too. So. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. But uh, all right, Robert, who you got next? Uh, next up, let's see. I, I had Stuart Newman, too. So I'll go to uh, Olivier Coppel. Oh, yeah. Um, which for me, he uh, I first even really started reading this stuff with Thor and um, uh, Straczynski's run. So, or wait, was it Straczynski? Who's writing that? Yeah, Straczynski was, I think it was Straczynski. Okay, yeah, when they when they came about. And then it was like Mark Morales was inking him. And it was just like, uh, I was like this perfect storm of a really cool take on Thor and reinvigorated the character he would kind of come back to life it was after the whole civil war thing and olivier's pencil style but with mark morales's inks over it was just like the combination that i think uh, really uh showcased what either, both of them did really well together and then so as i that's what really got me into his art and as i went back and saw some of his older stuff i was like oh yeah i'm familiar with this but i actually like olivier best when mark morales is inking him uh because because Mark has such a distinct inking style. It's very slick and smooth and, um, and sometimes simplifies, but in a good way, uh, it's so crisp and it just like, yeah, I just absolutely loved it. So his storytelling is, is fairly unorthodox. Like there's a lot of like free form storytelling that goes on. Um, and I think sometimes it works better than others, but I think just his form, like his figure, superhero figure at rest is some of the best like that I've seen in the industry. So, so drawing somebody just standing there, you think, oh, that's kind of boring. And so a lot of guys don't like doing that. Like they're like, oh, I'd rather have you punch in or be doing something dynamic. Yeah. But the way he, the, his subtle like weight distribution of how somebody's standing and how they're like casually as they're sitting there in their conversation, he makes that look so lifelike. And it's like the subtle shift of the 
you know, just the, the parts of the body and, and how he abstracts that. It's it's just absolutely fantastic. So it's, I mean, he does the big action stuff great, and I love his rendering style. But I think what for me what sets him apart is how he can make freeform storytelling work as well as he does and in a mainstream style and then also just that at-rest figure and how believable that is. It's so cool. I love his stuff. Yeah. yeah. How come I didn't get the notice that we were supposed to sit down and actually do breakdowns of the technical stuff here? Come on, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> just got to step it up for my next one, I guess. <laughs> So my next one is uh, a, uh, my number three, which is a, a favorite that of Sh- Shannon's for sure is Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Um, Who? <laughs> yeah, I know you don't really know the, the huggable <laughs> bastard. <laughs> um, he he had to be on my list because much like we've talked about in the past, and I won't go into great detail because we've talked about a lot in the past, but he was the defining artist for everything I knew about DC characters <laughs> when I was growing up. Like if, if I saw a DC character, it was his artwork that matched up with that character up to, and including today. Like when I think of any of those characters, his images of those characters is what I think of. So it was, it was an absolute privilege to be able to meet him. It was an absolute privilege to get some of his artwork and everything. But yes, I mean, did you hug the bastard? I did not, yeah. but I did get I did get a commission from him though. So, well, you can appreciate oh, a guy's work without rubbing yourself on him. Like right. you don't have to go. <laughs> oh, by the there way, is there is a there is a middle ground there. Yeah. <laughs> you know. By the way, Robert, I got a commission from him at the show Jamie, the same Jamie, day Jamie. that I asked for it. Jamie, Jamie, Jamie. Oh. Hey, it's been. Uh, hey, I do too. Shit comes back to bite you. <laughs> What was that, Robert? I said I do that too, just not for you. Right, I know you do. Oh, oh snap! Wow, <laughs> must be a parallel universe because I don't hear about it. Right. Uh, <laughs> no, um, but yeah, like I said, it's it's really that whole the whole fact that everything DC that I grew up with was his artwork. So, uh, you know, what's weird is I was just watching like old Super Friend cartoons. Yeah, like uh, Galactic Guardians, that kind of era. You know, the later run stuff. And the the promo like the intro bits, they basically just animate his drawings. Yeah. Like you know, Superman rips open the wall and steps in and goes right into the the Garcia Lopez. Yes. Pose. Yes. You know. <laughs> and I'm like, you dudes couldn't even like come up with your own shot. You just basically traced it out. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. So, all right, Shannon, who you got next? Uh, I'm actually gonna go with uh, Moebius. Okay. Mm, yeah. Um, when I was in high school and college, uh, I had always known his stuff because I had I had an art teacher in high school that was kind of like, "Oh, you're into comics. You need to look outside the U.S." And that was the first artist he showed me, and I just kind of fell in love with it. And shortly after that was when he started doing all those Marvel posters, and then he did the uh, Silver Surfer, you know, two issue with uh, Stanley, which wasn't a great read, but the artwork was just amazing. Mm-hmm. And I just loved his level of detail and his creativity and the abstract forms that he would bring into things. And it really kind of opened my eyes into a lot of other uh, illustrators outside of the country. It was also what made me start taking chances on stuff that was coming from England, which, you know, most people don't think of as being foreign country stuff. But to me, it was, you know, mm-hmm. when I when I was a kid, Judge Dredd was like, oh, that's foreign stuff, you know. Um, 
but yeah, I just I've always loved his figures and loved his style and his detail, and how he almost had this like Art Nouveau, futuristic feel to everything. So yeah, he was, he was one of my favorites. He's, de- he's definitely one of those artists that influenced a whole generation of other artists too. Oh yeah, yeah. Like whether whether or not they were really just like him, I think I think there was a lot of European artists that were like, in a similar way to things that happen here in mainstream comics. Like people would look weird. to him and, and draw just like it, but I think just his sense of storytelling and his creativity, I think, can influence anybody. And I, I honestly think because he did this Iron Man poster, and it was almost like this organic metal. And up until then, Iron Man had always been kind of like you know the Bob Layton thing, where it was you know the weird frisbee things on the hips and you know the standard kind of night mask. And it was after he did that that uh, the Iron Man costume started to just kind of explode into this. How many working parts could you get onto the thing? And, you know, all the gadgets that would pop up out of the shoulder blades and stuff. So I, I think whether people acknowledge it or not, he was kind of the start of that. Yeah. Cool. Anyway. John, who do you have? Uh, next up for me is Joe Kubert. Yeah, nice. Uh, craftsman and... And a just a workhorse, man. Yeah, those. I, it's <laughs> really amazing to think about. And, and and I recognize too. You know, there was a conveyor belt bit of work going on there. I'm sure there were people behind the scenes cranking things out too. But you think about how many covers, war book covers he was doing, and he was doing interiors, and he was you know, just and 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 he saw his name on everything. And uh, yeah, he. Those those war books are, are very special for me, and Jacob. did a lot of other things. And, and but uh, but yeah, his Sergeant Rock man, that's just where it is. So yeah. I had I have some other uh, more old school type folks on there, but I had to make sure I mentioned him. Oh, and the detail he does on did on his work, it was just amazing. And, so. and even yeah, you know, especially you know, Shane and I have talked a lot about. Over the years, people do they um, do they continue to grow? You know, as as artists and creators, you know, regardless of how long they're doing it, if it's five years, ten years, or fifty years, and it, even the stuff that they put out, you know, DC did some. Uh, I don't know. I guess were they one shots or there were several issues. I mean, like Joe Kubert presents yes. or something like yes, that. Yes, I have and all he those. Was still, yeah. He's still doing just tremendous work. Yeah. You know, in his what eighties? Yeah, ninety. So. I have those, and they're amazing to look at. So, and then what was the uh, like the book you did, Yossel? Yes, did you, and and it was like kind of just his drawings with with white paint on them and stuff, and it was just so intimate and beautiful. Yeah, and that was that was one of the things that just kind of yeah. I mean, he's still cranking it out. He's not just kind of phoning in the jobs at this point. He he still cares about what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, hell, he created a whole school. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that's how much he cared about helping other artists and, and everything else too. So, um, and it, and his and his his sons are, I think, very very well talented artists. Uh, so, I mean, but uh, yeah, his work is absolutely amazing. Uh, he was on my short list of of artists. So, um, I, ne- I never got a chance to meet him. He he died like two weeks before. Uh before Baltimore a few years ago, he was going to be the the marquee guest. And yeah, 
It was 2012, I think, and yeah. he, he died right before the show. I, I, I did hear a rather extensive interview that he did with uh, Comic Geek Speak a long time ago. Yes. It was fascinating. I mean, he was, yeah, just a just a fascinating person, and was doing it till the end. And yeah. so, uh, like I said, I wanted to make sure I mentioned him. I sure. think that was actually 2013. Cause, or no, uh, two thousand. Yeah, it would have been two thousand fourteen. I think that he was supposed to be at Baltimore because uh, it was before that. I think. Well, no, because it was. It had to have been was because it? the year before that, I was at Baltimore, and then last year I didn't make it, and this year I did make it. So it was the year I wasn't able to go that he passed away. So I'm pretty sure it was two thousand fourteen. I don't think it was that long ago. Some people will do anything to avoid you. I know. Well, 2012. Oh, was yeah. it 2012? It was Take that. It was okay. 2012. Take I guess so. Yeah. Take okay. that. 2012. All right. I, I knew it had been a while because yeah. it was several shows ago, and one of the big reasons I needed to get up there this year was to meet Russ Heath, and that happened, and it was epic. So, gotcha. Uh, I want to, you know, continue to to meet these folks that uh, you know have done done so much that will not be with us forever. So, yeah. Nice. Always so uplifting, John. Thanks. <laughs> uh. Robert, who you have next? Um, the next guy is uh, Paulo Seguera. Okay. Um, he, I don't know if you guys are familiar with. This. I just sent a couple images of some of his stuff uh, okay. just through the Skype chat. But yeah. um, like he, in the last, oh gosh, I don't know, five or six, year, five years maybe, six years. He's kind of been building up to this style, um, and it's now just it's like mastercraft at this point of finishing. Um, it he 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 kind of he pencils too tight for his own good, which is kind of uh, it's been an influence for me, but not in a good way, I guess. <laughs> um, it's just like he, uh, and, and I think it's unfortunate because then he gets uh, you know a lot of times they just color straight from his pencils and that's no, not always the best finishing style for comics but his actual his finished pencils are just so tight and so beautiful um, I just I learn a lot from how just the way he shadows forms and, and builds up stuff he he kind of started out as more of like a good girl artist you know kind of a like another one of the an Adam Hughes um, kind of influenced artist uh, kind of back in the night like late nineties, early two thousands, he started doing a lot of stuff for DC and, and even it was, you know, I don't think he's the fastest artist. So it's like, he typically wouldn't do long runs. He did a lot of stuff on birds of prey for a long time and, um, Ms. Marvel for a little bit for Marvel. But, uh, in the last few years, like he'll only do one issue, like maybe two or three issues a year anymore. Uh, he does covers and, and, but the pencil work and the in he'll ink himself too. Like that Spider-Man one I sent, like he inked, himself and uh i've seen him just as a, an inker for other artists too which is amazes me but he's another one of these inkers who will do his style on somebody else which is always intriguing to me so somebody like a kevin nolan or mm-hmm. you know, these guys who'll come in and ink somebody else and it just looks like kevin nolan drew yeah. <laughs> like whoa man that's pretty intrusive but um so paulo he's come in and he'll ink people or he'll pencil and ink his own stuff it's just his finishing style is so tight and so interesting and then I don't know if you remember we did our like top five Spider-Man bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> and I said one of mine was the Spot. Yeah. And uh, it was because of an, uh, an issue that he drew that Paulo Seguero drew, and I'm sure it was partly you know in the script. I, I don't know who was writing it at the time, but um, but the way he drew that, like the storytelling of it, was so fun. Like 
I loved that fight, and, and a lot of it had to do with his kind of sense of storytelling and how he goes about kind of drawing out a scene. So anyway, he's he's one of my like absolute favorite artists right now, and in the last two or three years, been a huge influence on my stuff. Nice. Um, well, my next one, this is the other one that I said is probably cliched to say, uh, and he's also someone that has definitely turned his comic uh, artistry into a more of a business situation, uh, but it's Jim Lee. Um, yeah. Uh, I got in, and one of the biggest reasons, because it's when I got into X-Men, is when he was drawing X-Men. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was watching the cartoon, I was like, I really like this, let me go pick up the comics. I picked it up, and that's who was drawing it at the time, uh, and got heavily into it. Cyclops, I talked in past episodes, Cyclops is my favorite Marvel character, Jim Lee's version of Cyclops is the Cyclops that I like the best. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, Batman Hush is one of my favorite Batman stories. I've got like, I've got it in like three different forms. I've got it in um, the actual issues. I've got the absolute edition. And then I got the unwrapped edition that they came out with, which I got it because I wanted to be able to see more of his pencil work. Uh, because I thought it was going to be kind of like the artist editions. The only thing I don't like is they did put the the word balloons in there so you could still read it. And I wish they just would have left the word balloons out. I just wanted to be able to look at it. Um, but uh, but it's still pretty pretty cool to look at and everything. Um, I mean, I, I, I loved... I, even though some people criticized uh, the New 52 Justice League, I loved looking at his artwork on those first issues. Um and like I said, I know there's a lot of people that are just like, oh, yeah, Jim Lee, whatever. That's very cliched and stuff like that. But it's, you know, like I said, his influence for me when it came to the X-Men, his influence for me when it came to Batman, even when he did uh, Superman for Tomorrow, I know the story is not the best, but the artwork still looks amazing in it. So, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, again, I know he does mostly covers these days. He rarely does an issue uh, interior, but um, I I just love the early stuff that I, I read of his. So, Yeah, for, for me, Jim Lee, like I got into comics with the, the late 80s, early 90s X-Men run and with the Image Comics boom. Like That's just when I started reading yeah. comics. And yeah. uh, So obviously he was just like hands down my favorite artist. I tried to copy everything he drew, you know right. what I mean, like, like when I was in middle school and stuff. And, but I think uh, it, like his... I don't know. I mean, he just, he's able to capture, like, even with his stylized figure, mm-hmm. um, with his enormous barrel chested yes. <laughs> rib cages <laughs> and, and, um, and his rendering, he has cross hatching rendering all over the place, but he just does it in a way that just pioneered this whole yeah. stylistic, um, run in comics. And everybody just wanted to draw just like him. I mean, anytime you could pioneer something like that and it'd be your natural style and you kind of put your stamp on it, like that's yeah. that alone, you have to respect him for that. Well, and I will say too, Robert, before I even knew you, one of the reasons, one of the things that attracted me to your artwork was because Jim Lee was very, very detailed. He, he had a lot of detail in his drawings. And one of the things that attracted me to your artwork was that you were very detailed in your artwork. And I kind of saw some of those influences coming from him in your artwork so like i said that was before i even knew you it was just like i like this because i'm seeing this detail in this in in this work that i always loved when i would uh see jim lee's artwork was seeing all that detail in there so yeah i think it's pulling pulling back from the commission crack huh (laughs) no (laughs) that's that's the honest how this works 
No, that's the honest truth. Was I, I saw the the influence there in his in his work. So, yeah, it's like it's while I'm not. I think this is like what I was saying earlier. You might not say try to draw line for line what somebody's doing, but right. you can take like their approach and it be an influence on your work, and it'll come through. And you have enough of your own mixture of influences and and life experiences to develop your own personal yeah. style. Uh, but yeah, it has. It's a culmination of all the things you've been exposed to and what you find that looks interesting and cool. And awesome. uh, and so, so for him, he was definitely one of like the people I just studied or very early on. Yeah. Um, but even now, like if you, I think everybody looks at all the cross hatching and, and rendering, but I, I think what, what I learned how to drop blacks and what's called like you're dropping spot blacks on figures basically mm-hmm. where do you put your large black shadows on a figure right i learned it from looking at his stuff which is you would think oh that he does all this cross hatching but it, his ability to drop a black over the the form and it just add gravity and weight to a figure i learned from him like looking at his stuff and it's a uh, uh, if you look at if you look at any of his pages any of his stuff like look where he puts the shadows and and um I don't know if you remember way back in the day he did this death he did the death blow character yeah and he did one book that was almost like a Frank Miller type style where it was very heavy blacks almost no rendering I think he was he prefers to do that yeah um, but then I think that's when I saw that I was like whoa this doesn't look like the same artist but then when I saw his other stuff I was like oh yeah it basically is uh, but just with instead of cross hatching he just stuck with the blacks I, I think anyway that's something that always stuck out with with me and his work yeah. Cool. Uh, Shannon, who you have left? Um, uh, I'm actually well, connected. <laughs> I was going to say, well, other than maybe a whole list of other people. but <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm going to be here all night. Right. <laughs> um, but I'm going to go with Alex Toth. Okay. Mm. Uh, and like Robert was just talking about with Jim Lee being an influence on where he does spot blacks, that was Alex Toth is still someone that I go to. Um, how he could tell such great stories with just spot blacks and maybe a line here and there. Um, his figures always felt alive. You could always get a sense of where their weight was shifted. And he's just a great storyteller. But it, it's like, he, I constantly go back to his stuff and every time I, I get blown away. And what's weird is he was actually one of my first comic book experiences because you know how we were talking those oversized books earlier? Yeah. yeah. They did one of the Super Friends. Yes. And he only did like an intro and an exit out of the book. And I remember having that book for years as a kid, and I never really paid attention to the story in the middle. I just kept going back to his artwork. And I think it really was the drawings. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, you know, I, a few years ago I got the um, Zorro strip that he did. Mm-hmm. You know, um, at, I think at first well, somebody collected it like Eclipse or First or somebody did, and then somebody else got the rights to it. But you can just sit there and go through it for hours and hours and hours and go, this simple little spot black right here, that's a horse, you know, and <laughs> that that hat and the sword, it's Zorro, and there's nothing there except like the shape. Right. And it's everything you need to tell the story. To know it, what it is, yeah. Yeah, like there, like there's. You could look at it and break it down into a formula. Like if you had light coming from above in a three quarter angle, that you could put a shadow on the side of the nose and the side of the cheekbone and mouth, and it read. You know what I mean? Like even yeah. at the tiniest drawing, even if or the biggest close up, like that formula of shadow placement, you could, you know, you got it all. And it's like if if you studied his work 
like that, then then you could see how like he worked all that out. You know, what I mean? like to him, that formula was his style. That was his natural way of just putting the lines down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John, who do you have uh, left in your top five at least? Uh, I said I was going to gush like a son of a bitch on the last episode about this guy, <laughs> and I am. It's uh, Dave Stevens. Okay. Um, oh man! I, I I I just am in awe of everything that he did. His Rocketeer is just just beautiful, and uh, you know I remember the first time Shannon showed me the uh, artist edition of yeah. of Rocketeer, and I was oh just a gog. I mean it's stunning, and the way he drew women, they were just beautiful. Obviously, you know he he really brought. Betty Page back to the front, you know, back to yeah. culture and back to society. And uh, one of my favorite things that he did that was not a was not Rocketeer is a old Kamiko Johnny Quest cover. Yeah. With Jade and yeah. Haji and and uh, and and Johnny and and on Race. it and yeah. Uh, well, no, I don't think great. I don't think Race is on. It's just really. It's the woman. It, it's Jade and the two yeah. of them. They're like looking around a corner. And oh, it's just stunning. The figure work was amazing, and so uh, yeah. He, like I said, I said I was going to gush on him, and so I am. I just <laughs> love, I love looking at his stuff. And yeah. you know, from a Star Joe's perspective, it's interesting because you know he did storyboards for Raiders. Yeah. yeah. And so you know, and he did did stuff for. Well, he worked on Super Friends. I mean, he worked on stuff, and you know, he worked with Doug Wildey, and that's anyway. Yeah, so uh, Dave Stevens all the way, man. He I, just great, great stuff. Nice. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't familiar. I came into him way late. Like I didn't even know about his work. I mean, I knew the character of the Rocketeer, but I didn't know who created it or any of the comic work that led up to it um, until I saw the artist edition. So that was my very first. Oh um, wow! Like <laughs> that I had ever seen of him. I, I not a bad introduction, though. <laughs> <laughs> and I just happened across the book. I was at San Diego the first year that IDW was putting these out, and Alan Payne's like their marketing director there, and and I was just talking to him. I was like, "So what are you guys you know, launching at the show?" And he's like, "Oh, we've got these Rocketeer books." And I was like, "Oh, wow, this is cool." And and I was sitting there flipping through that, and I was like, "Well, so you're selling these here?" And he's like, "Yeah." And it was on the very first day, and so I was like, "Well, I want to buy one of these. How much is it?" He's like, "Well, it's like a hundred something dollars." I was like, whoa. <laughs> and, uh, and he goes, well, but you're, you know, he's like, your family is like, well, I'll, I'll but you're Robert. So we're well, gonna... he was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, your family, you can have it for 50. And I was like, well, yeah. So I bought it. What? And, um, oh, no. But then, Shannon then, Gallant screwed again. No, no, no. Listen, man. Then by the end of the show, like by the second or third day, they had sold out, like completely yeah. sold out. So then the next book came out and I forget which one it was. Um, Maybe Dave Mazzucchelli or, or the Walt Simonson one or something like that. And so I called Alan. I was like, hey, is there any way I could get another book? And he was just like, uh, yeah, but you you totally have to pay full price for these. He's like, I shouldn't have given you that last one for 50 bucks. I don't know what I was thinking. And I was like, I don't know either, but I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of like, I feel like I stole that book. But um, anyway, yeah, that did. was my very first, that was my <laughs> very first, <laughs> I know, my first the chance to see it. And I've, you know, I just, oh my gosh, that book is amazing. And, and since then, I've gone back and bought, you know, the other collected editions of the Rocketeer and stuff, and I've just absolutely loved it. I just completely missed out on it back then. I'll, I take back taking back every mean thing I said about you, though. <laughs> wow, that's a lot. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, some of it I've never taken back, so. That's true. I think that opened up a rift. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, Robert, who did you have left in your top five? Uh, let's see. Um, so one of my main artists uh, is Ivan Rice or Reese or uh, Hayes? Also, Yvonne Hayes. Yvonne Hayes. Okay. Yeah. So he's this uh, Brazilian artist uh, who's been around for a very long time. Uh, he did a lot of his early work for like Dark Horse and on Ghost and Buffy, and he did a lot of work for Marvel on early Avengers stuff. But he just exploded at DC when he started on Green Lantern. Yeah, um, yeah. he had done other stuff again like before that. But his run on Green Lantern, like I picked up Green Lantern because again Carlos Pacheco was drawing it right after uh, Ethan Van Skyver did Rebirth. Rebirth, right? So. Uh, then Carlos Pacheco came in on like the main series that relaunched the character. And I had always loved Green Lantern, um, and I loved Carlos Pacheco, so this was a good jumping-on point for me. Then Carlos left after the first arc, um, and then Ivan or Yvonne you know, came in right after that. And I was like, whoa, who's this guy? And I just, he was on that book so consistently for over the next five years that I just completely fell in love with this stuff. Like, it was just classic, perfect superhero you know what I mean? Just like the current superhero look at, for me that I just completely, uh, again, just jumped onto and, and tried to learn everything I could from it. So um, it's interesting to see how, again, his style is is changing slightly over the years. And yeah. a lot of times what you do, you know, a lot of it is what what choices do I make in my finishing style that will get the book done on time that is... Again, what am I influenced by other things? You know, all of that gets factored in. But um, so I think my favorite Yvonne stuff was the Green Lantern, the trade Wanted, and uh, what is it, Revenge? Yeah. Of the Green Lanterns, and then the Sinestro Corps War. Like that run of about two years of Green Lantern is just my absolute favorite stuff. Yeah, his stuff with uh, Sinestro Corps War, and also he did work with uh, for Blackest Night. Uh, and I don't know, I got him. I met him at Baltimore the one year and got him to sign yeah. uh, Blackest Night for me. So, um, now and super nice guy. He doesn't speak a lick of English. I know. I tried to get a portfolio <laughs> review from him, but I couldn't understand anything he was saying. <laughs> like, oh, right. I, I did get enough to know how to pronounce his name. So that's how I know how to say his name is because I, I was like, hey, can you tell me how you pronounce it? And so he told me, and I'm sure he gets asked that a lot. And he said, yeah. he did say, like, uh, yes, I'd like to be an Ivan, but I'm not. <laughs> so, right. Um, but yeah, super nice guy and everything. Um, so my last, uh, my number one on my list, and I don't think it's a surprise for anyone that knows me pretty well. It would be, is, uh, George Perez. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge George Perez fan. Uh, again, my favorite comic book story is crisis on infinite earths. So, you know, that was a, big influence for me even getting into comics and reading comics um his run uh on teen titans is one of my is my favorite run of teen titans it's one of my favorite runs in comics um he is a master at putting more characters than you can count on a page but still put detail into every single one of those characters and Shannon I know you mentioned this a while back like a lot of times he gets criticized for the the style of costumes that he came up with and everything else but honestly a lot of those costumes are the costumes I remember and know 
for a lot of the characters, or or at least they were changes that I loved. You know, even though like I said with Garcia Lopez, those was how I remembered a lot of the characters. Well, with George Perez, it's like that's how I picture the characters when they were a little bit more modernized and everything else. Um, so, um, absolutely love his work. Uh, I was thrilled to death when I got to meet him. I got him to sign my absolute edition and he was like, do you want me to sign both books? And I was like, sure. He goes, you want me to sign the slipcase? I was like, yeah, go for it. So <laughs> because of that, when I met Mar Wolfman, this past Baltimore con, I had to have Mar Wolfman sign all three also, <laughs> um, <laughs> just to match, uh, George Perez. Um, and he also did, uh, he was doing for donations to the Heroes Initiative, he was doing sketches, and it was like 40 bucks, which for George Perez drawing, uh, I'll pay that all day long. And uh, he, did, he did a head sketch of Hal Jordan for me. So, nice. so that, that was really cool to get. So, um, But again, like, it's just the, the detail he puts into his work, and like I said, just the, you know, I love anytime I get to see like multiple him do multiple characters. Cause I just can't imagine how long that took him because of how much detail he puts into every single character. You can look at this huge picture of all these characters and you can pinpoint every single character without any problem, uh, in that image. So, well, and he was, uh, I think I, we talked about this before. He was an influence on me in the sense of how he treats the work. Yeah. Because, you know, I've, I've got that, like, before they started doing the art of or whatever, they had one called Focus On, and it was George Perez. And he talked about, yeah, I, I, I'm a masturbating artist because I know <laughs> stuff I draw is never going to get inked. And he goes, so I'm really just doing it for me. Mm-hmm. And then he was talking, you know, some the interviewer asked him, well, what do you think once you've done a page? He goes, once it's out the door, I don't think about it. Because huh. what's going to happen to it is going to happen to it, and you can't control that. He goes, so you do it and you get it out the door and you make it as good as you can make it in that day and just let it go. That's some good advice. And that, yeah, when I was a kid trying to, you know, how am I going to be a comic artist? What am I going to, how do I got to do this? That book, his philosophy on stuff really kind of had a big influence on me of, okay, the one Mm -hmm. thing I'm going to do is crank the pages out. I'm going to be the, you know, I'm not going to, if people aren't going to like my artwork, I can't control that. But I can control whether or not I'm meeting my deadlines and getting stuff out there. So. Yeah, nice. I thought that was going to go in a very different direction. Talking <laughs> about masturbating artist, but thankfully it didn't. So thank you. But you know what I mean. I mean that you know it, he does all that no, no, detail. So, yeah. Sure. And anchors just you know because they're in a hurry or they're trying to do stuff that half of it doesn't get done. Yeah. Well, and then uh, we've talked about this before, too, With when it comes to George Perez, he's just like Garcia Lopez in the sense that he still loves the the work. He still yeah. is happy to meet the fans, and he's still happy to do the artwork and everything else. It hasn't made him bitter over the years. He still genuinely loves it. So, um, and, it and it's just so awesome to see that. It's, it's one of those things. I had mentioned it back when I met him. It was like it's one of those things when you meet one of your – your heroes in in the industry and he is just as nice and just as awesome as as you were hoping he would be um so uh like me right right that was my experience with him that was my experience with with you right (laughs) kind (laughs) of what Um, all right, so I have a whole list of other artists that I wanted to oh, mention. Yeah. Do you guys want to go ahead first before I jump into mine, and I'll just mark off any ones that you guys mention? Uh, Shannon, do you have like just a list you want to go through real quick? Or 
Uh, well, some I didn't mention are obviously like Neil Adams, who is, yeah. I think I told that story before with the stack cards, yeah. power book, um, Wally Wood, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of guys that were kind of crossovers and in my head, comic strip artists also count, but like guys like Hal Foster, obviously Alex Raymond, Will Eisner, who mm-hmm. spirit was a yep. strip in list. the book. Yep. Walt Kelly with the Pogo strip, um, Windsor McKay, uh, who probably was an influence on every single artist since he, he was working. And then guys like Al Williamson. Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. Al Williamson just, uh, granted, he's a huge influence on Butch, and Butch is a huge influence on me, but his spot blacks and the way he staged things, his work on EC Comics, his Star Wars stuff, obviously. Yeah. Um, he he never, he, one of those guys that, as he got older, it just never diminished. He was always hitting it at 100%. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so it's guys like that. And then and, uh, Robert mentioned Gene Colan. He was another yes. one who... I got into late in life. I was never a huge fan of his stuff when I was a kid. Yeah, but same, I really same came here. Back to it. Yeah, same here. And and it's because I got heavy into Tomb of Dracula. Tomb Dracula. Right? Yeah, and I those, was especially like, those showcase reprints. Yeah, are just gorgeous. Yeah. So, so that that's I, I could go on and on and on, but yeah, that that was the list. Yeah, I've gotten some of the the trades of the Tomb of Dracula that are um, in color, but then I have those essentials, and I want to eventually get the the hardcover omnibus editions that are in color, so I have the whole run. But I'm never going to get rid of the essentials because they're just they look beautiful. And I'm so, I'm so bummed that Marvel and DC will not print those things like the showcase and the essentials. Yeah, or they won't put them out digitally. Yeah, I, I would love to have the black and white versions of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have any others that you wanted to mention or like I said, we could be here all sure. Night. Sure. Um, John, who else did you have kind of, to... uh, so yeah, Eisner got mentioned, uh, Jim Steranko, okay. uh, Butch Geis, Mike Zeck, yeah. John Byrne, who is my fantastic four artist. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, really was definitely. when I was growing up anyway. X-Men. Um, and X-Men too. And then, um, Art Adams. Yeah, yeah. Who was I? I long shot was really kind of what you know those covers. Just covers, man. They're just uh, you know one of those detail yeah. guys, and you see his commissions now, and there's just so much going on in them. But uh, yeah, like I said, this is a fun. It would be interesting to go back and review this in a year or a month or ten years because it's probably going to be different every time. Yeah. you Sit down and think through it because it, it really is. And I think too, it's interesting to hear your lists because there's a couple of of crossovers, but everybody had unique stuff, and it's yeah. good. Especially Robert, some of the folks you mentioned that I'm not as familiar with, I want to go check them out now. Yeah. The guy you sent pictures of, that stuff's really cool. So yeah, this, well, this has been fun in that regard. To, yeah, well, and your, to your point too, John. Uh, I know one of our early episodes that I that we did. We talked about who would be on your Mount Rushmore when it came to comic book artists, and uh, my list, you know, and at that time you you only had four people to choose from for a Mount Rushmore, and my list is a bit, quite a bit different from what it was back then. So, sure. Um, uh, Robert, who else did you have? Um, I had, uh, yeah. So there's a few um, Lee Weeks. Oh yeah. Um, I didn't. Again, I I came across him. I met him at Super Show. That Super Show we went to in yeah. Pennsylvania. Yeah. And uh, and I was familiar with his work before, but I hadn't ever like really broke it down and looked at it. Um, 
And si- I met him, talked to him a lot at that show. And since then, I just everything he does just again blows me away. Like his his basic figure is kind of that old school style in a lot of ways, but um, it's just such a solid foundation. You know what I mean? It just seems effortless for him. And then other guys, uh, Kevin Nolan too, is kind of in a similar way. He, <laughs> as he's gotten older, like his his figure has become more and more proportionally abstract, and it's been interesting and strange to see kind of where it goes. But just his rendering style, his um, again, just to see him collaborate with other people was and study that was interesting. He definitely have had influences on other people like uh, Yannick Paquette and a few other guys yeah. that that I actually knew first. So it's like I was familiar with Yannick's work first, and then Kevin was a big influence on him. And I went back and saw a bunch of Kevin stuff, and I was like, oh yeah. And then I just kind of ate all that up too, and. Seeing seeing Kevin do more cartoony stuff, I actually really liked because that was one of the first times I saw a, a his like what is it Jack Be Quick or something. He has like a creator own. Um, it's not like over the top cartoony, but it's just his style done with like a younger boy, and just kind of seeing somebody with a tight, um, you know, anatomically correct or like highly refined finishing style, then go and do something cartoony. Yeah. And, and me love it just as much. I was like, that was a really interesting uh, kind of me see that transition. Um, so then, yeah, so like Yannick Paquette, uh, kind of that, a bunch of kind of more contemporary guys who I just really admire the work, like Terry Dodson, mm-hmm. Neil Yu. Um, and then even some of like, say, like our age contemporaries that I just really respect their work, like um, like Ryan Otley on the Invincible series. Yeah. Um, just the just his staying power being on a book for over a hundred issues like blows my mind, um, and uh, you know seeing guys even my age who come in and then are willing to adjust their style and just play with it like uh, uh, like Francis Manipole and and guys like that you know who yeah. uh, just just totally shifted their whole approach and uh and it, and it still worked out for them yeah manipole definitely changed a lot and i like what he does now better even better than what he did before and i liked what he did before so right um anyone else on the list before i go through my ridiculous oh, yeah but. same thing i could just keep naming <laughs> names all night but go ahead all right so um i'll try to keep it as short as possible but still kind of mention some of the wise one that almost made my uh top five list was j scott campbell um i've loved his stuff for a long time again a guy who i wish would do interior art but i also know he's not cheap to do interior art so um ethan van skyver we mentioned for uh especially for re- his work on rebirth uh todd mcfarlane uh, i was a fan of his especially in the 90s and doing spider-man and everything um norm brayfogle is who i think of whenever i think of batman in the comics uh yeah so it's impossible for me to think of batman in the comics without thinking of his artwork sometimes it's hard for me to separate the person and their work do you find that Mm. i don't but (laughs) i I don't buy robert i know yeah i understand (laughs) it no the um it was interesting because I was the same way with Brayfogle. And while I still definitely respect his work, like I did a podcast with him where it was on somebody else's podcast. I was there just kind of like as a guest host and then they were interviewing Norm. Mm-hmm. And um, man, he's just like crotchety, jaded, mm. you know, just like, <laughs> it's like, wow. Um, <laughs> and how vocal he was about, about all that. I was like, yeah. okay. You know, it just really changed the way I 
Right. And I guess it doesn't change his work or my opinion of his work, but knowing personality yeah. definitely influences it. Yeah, and I think I, I am able to separate the two because I'm I, like when it comes to music, musical artists and stuff like that, like I like Michael Jackson's music, but I don't really didn't really care for Michael Jackson as the person, but I loved uh, his music. So I'm kind of the same way with artists and stuff like that. Like I still love Adam Hughes's art. I still think Adam Hughes is a jackass when I met him. But, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, and other people have had great experiences with him, but I didn't. And, uh, but I still like his artwork when I see it. So, um, Another guy that that uh, has really come into his own recently that I love his artwork, especially on Justice League right now, is Jason Fabok. Um, and uh, yeah. another more modern guy is uh, Steve McNiven. Uh, love seeing his artwork. Uh, Kurt Swan is who I think of whenever I think of Superman. Uh, yeah, that that is my Superman in comics. Uh, Greg Capullo. Uh, whose art has definitely he's he's like you guys were talking about he mimicked basically Todd McFarlane for a while with Spawn for a long while for a yeah. long time and now he's really developed his own style and I love his style that he does right now with uh, Batman and everything um, super detailed artist uh, Brian Hitch uh, yeah. yeah love his stuff Alan Davis uh, oh yeah love his uh, Frank Quitely um, big fan of his. Mark Bagley, especially is on his run with Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, Ed McGinnis, uh, more oh, so yeah. more so his recent stuff that he did. Uh, Robert, you and I were talking about it when it came to Amazing X-Men. Like that. Yeah, that was it, really good. It didn't look like typical Ed McGinnis, but it was really well done. So mm-hmm. um, David Finch, who we kind of mentioned briefly earlier in the, in yeah. the episode. I uh, love his stuff. David Peterson. His work on Mouse Guard and everything, I, uh, the amount of detail he puts into his artwork is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and then some stylized artists that I wrote down is uh, Chris, uh, Chris uh, Bacalo or Bacalo or however yeah. you pronounce it. He is really detailed, but it looks messy at the same time. And I don't know, it just works for me really well. Uh, when He's it, one of those guys that breaks every rule in storytelling. And yes. It's, for whatever reason, he gets away with it and it still works. It still works, yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> um, Scotty Young, I'm a big fan of, of his artwork. Um, and I'm reading right now his I Hate Fairyland story. Uh, uh, comic and it is hilarious uh he's writing it and drawing it and it's basically a girl little girl who wishes to go uh to fairyland when she gets there she just wants to go home like a typical story and they're like you just have to go on this quest for the key well she 27 years later she's still a little girl trapped in fairyland but she's obviously matured because she's been there 27 years she's still on the quest and all she wants to do is pretty much kill everybody in fairyland (laughs) (laughs) so um so i've got a with scotty young one of the very first conventions i ever went to is up a wizard world chicago yeah this was like early 2000s and he i came across his table and he was doing these marker sketches and and i was like wow this is really cool i didn't it was first time i had seen somebody do marker stuff and uh and I was talking to him and I was like, wow, so are you like trying to, he was like, what comics do you work on? He goes, well, I don't work on anything yet. I'm trying to, uh, he's like, I just pitched something to image, but they rejected it. And uh, so this is before he was doing any professional yeah. work. And, and I was see, looking at his page. I was like, wow, this is really neat. He was still, even then he was doing kind of neat. It was this story about like some underground, uh, you know, kids and, and all the, 
panel borders were like pipes and all this cool oh, intricate, nice. you know, like detail work in just the panels borders, you know. Yeah. And I was like, "Wow, this is really cool though." I was like I was like, "Man, that that stinks they rejected your book." And he's like, "Yeah." And he's like looking all down. And I was like, I don't know. I was in super early high school. I don't know how or no, I wasn't. Oh no, I don't see wait. When was this? This was kind of in the late 90s cuz I was still in high school and uh <laughs> and I was like it's like, don't worry about it. You'll make it someday. And I just like turned and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like rocks kid to Shannon. Keep up the yeah. good work. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like, keep your chin up, Scotty Young. You'll make it someday. Um, also, and these are just like very stylized artists. Uh, Jay Lee. Uh, I really like oh, yeah, man. a lot of his stuff. Um, I've really gotten, and Mike Myers will love this, I've really gotten into Jack Kirby artwork Uh in recent years <laughs> because I'm reading a lot of those old, like fantastic four stuff and all because you love Tom Scioli so much. That's no, no, <laughs> <laughs> not make my list. Um, Tim sale, uh, kind of along the lines of the Darwin cook where it's that classic look. I love, uh, the long Halloween and, uh, Superman for all seasons. Uh, yeah. Mike Mignola, very stylized, but Hellboy actually loved his work on that. Um, and then some artists related to the show, uh, some star Joe's related artists, uh, Pat Lee, who did a lot of the Dreamwave transformers artwork. So that was mm-hmm. my introduction to, to transformers in comics was the Dreamwave stuff. Um, and, uh, I basically did the whole Lee family of Jim Lee, Jay Lee and Pat Lee, uh, <laughs> and, uh, Kevin well, East. And I did, I did Lee weeks. So it's not yeah. quite the same, but. <laughs> Uh, Kevin Eastman on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, as well as uh, I also had uh, for Turtles with IDW, Dan Duncan, who started the the IDW run, and Matea Santaluco. Oh, yeah, man, his stuff. Which was awesome. Uh, Pop Mon on He-Man currently uh, is absolutely amazing and you guys are talking about the shadows and like learning how to mark you know where the shadows should be and everything else i remember that man at arms piece i got from pop Mon, oh yeah yeah which you looked at and you saw where the shadows needed to be finished and you're like do you want me to finish that and my thinking was no i don't want it that finished because i like the fact that i can see where he marked it and everything else so yeah um but that's a, an amazing piece that i have um and then uh, Steve Kurth, especially when he was on the G.I. Joe Devils uh, through Devils Do. Uh, yeah, early on, yeah. Early on stuff. Uh, Dan Schernig, who did Ghostbusters, he's got this style that looks very like, much like the cartoon, the real Ghostbusters, but still different from that. Um, so I loved his stuff there. Antonio Fuso, who did Cobra, very stylized, but I really liked his artwork. Uh, Jander Sema, anytime I saw her work on Star Wars, I knew I was in for a treat. Um, Cam Kennedy, who did the Dark Empire stuff for Star Wars. And uh, Douglas Wheatley, who did amazing work on, in, on Star Wars titles. And then just recently, when it comes to Star Wars, Salvador LaRocca on Darth Vader right now, his... He, his artwork in that title is breathtaking. So yeah, See, that's interesting. He's another artist who's really changed. He's He's kind of gone through an evolution. I remember his old run on Fantastic Four mm-hmm. through like the late '90s, early 2000s, and uh, and then I kind of felt like he was like a Carlos Pacheco kind of very similar type of artist, but then they went two different directions. Yeah. And then for a long time, he's doing just like this dead line art, like very photo real, as far as like it looked like it was referenced, you know, yeah. like photo yeah. reference stuff. And that I wasn't as big a fan of, like when he did the Extreme X Men and yeah. 
and then uh, stuff after that, even some Iron Man stuff after that. But so I haven't seen. I saw he was on Vader, and I was like, oh man, I'd like to read that book. But the last few things I had seen from him, I didn't like. But I wonder if he's changed his style. I don't. I don't know his work on, and maybe the photorealism works better on Vader. I don't know, but it just it is so detailed and such like. There's certain times where I turn the page and I'm just like, I just have to look at the page for a while before I even read it. So. Yeah, it's, I want. I, 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 yeah, I should check it out because it's been a while since I've looked at his stuff, and he has changed his style from, from yeah. time to time. So I bet it's he might be doing something. My like favorite that. scene is from the very first issue where you. It's a double splash page where it's Vader standing in Jabba the Hutt's throne room. Oh, that's cool. So you got Vader and Jabba there, and you got all the the horde behind them and everything else, and it's just a standoff that you're like, I always wanted to see this, and now I'm getting wow, to see cool. it. So yeah, yeah. Um, and then I would be remiss, and, and this is not to kiss ass, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention the two of you, uh, uh, Robert and Shannon, your work on GFO and everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But before I even knew you guys, the whole reason I wanted to talk to you guys was because I liked your artwork. And, uh, you know, John arranged it so that way we could talk to Shannon before What's on Joe Mine had a chance to talk to Shannon because we wanted, you know, we wanted to talk to him about his artwork. And when Robert reached out to us and said, hey, I do the book that you guys uh, review on the show, like Chuck and I were like two little schoolgirls, like, holy crap, he wants to talk to us. This is awesome. Um, so, you know, your guys' artwork is definitely, you know, something that when I know you guys are working on something else, I'm like, okay, I know the art's going to be good, so I'm going to pick it up. So, um, I'm not, I'm not going to kiss ass, but I will say we met Robert back in 09 at the Virginia College, so it's going on six years now mm-hmm. that we met, which is, kind of mind-boggling and you're still waiting uh, for commission no no not at all but but i, 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 I he, he may not he gave up on it years ago he, he may not remember this but um I, I had jacob with me the first day and it was a gi joe focus show so they had robert and larry uh chuck dixon was there and yeah. uh golden and they had all you know so we went i'd never been to a comic book show i was like oh my gosh gi joe we gotta go and yeah so i had jacob and he was gosh i guess nine eight or nine and there the whole day and he's talking to everybody and visiting and then so then we brought daniel the next day so he was like six and uh, so so there (laughs) they got prints we we didn't know anything about sketchbooks or anything else they got some prints or they each got a print from robert and robert's like you can have another one and jacob's like well i got one yesterday he goes well go ahead and get another one today and i sent robert a note after that show and said you know you didn't know us from Adam, but you were so great to the kids, yeah. and I really appreciate that. And you know, I, I wish you all the best. And I went, and that's when I started buying the IDW run and going back and getting yeah. stuff was already out. So anyway, yeah, that was well. And I will say, I, 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 you know, I know we give years, I don't know how that yeah. works, but for anyone that's listening that might be brand new to the show, we we give Robert a lot of shit for his commissions, but I will say. When you get a when you when you get a commission from Robert or from Shannon, you get your money's worth and you get an amazing piece of artwork from either one of them. So if you see them at a show and you wanted and you want to get a commission from them, even if you've never seen their artwork before, which I would find amazing uh, if you hadn't and you're listening to the show, but um, it's well worth your investment to to get a commission from either one of them. So all wheels are free. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but no, like I said, the amount of detail you both put in your artwork and everything else is why we, why I was attracted to uh, even more so to reading the the Joe books and everything else, and then just the fact of getting to know you guys and everything else, it just made it that much better of an experience. So, um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So, That's so uh, I love you, man. <laughs> man, we should have more shows like this. this I know. Is great. So, um, so let's go ahead and uh, wrap things up. We've definitely uh, shot our load with this one. So, hey, <laughs> wait a minute. So, uh, Robert, before before your Skype cuts out and we lose you, uh, why don't you? <laughs> why don't you? I know. Can you believe it? I'm I here to the end. It's crazy. I know. Uh, we had some iffy mo- moments in there. You that I don't know if you know, but you were starting to cut out a little bit, and I was like, uh oh, we're gonna lose them. But now you, you were here till <laughs> the end. There. Yeah. Um, so why don't you go ahead and give your information as far as how people can find you and anything that you want them to know about that's out there for you. Okay, yeah. Uh, the easiest way is just through Robert Atkins Art on Facebook and my blog, um, where I just keep up updates on what I'm working on and what's going on with my art especially. Uh, right now I'm working on uh, a Tomb Raider book for Dark Horse. It's called Lara Croft and the Frozen Omen. Um, I'm doing issue four of that. And I'm going oh, nice. to come up. I'm about to start a um, – oh, and I'm doing a, a series of Ninja Turtle covers yep. for IDW, but it's through a third-party, like a variant run of covers. So it will be – over the whole next year, I'll have over – I think there's 15 or 16 covers uh, lined up for that. And then right after I finish the Tomb Raider stuff, uh, I'm starting a new project that is um, – we're working with <laughs> – it's actually going to be like a Michael Bay – produced film but the the script is written by Rowan and uh it's going to be published through this um publisher in the UK which so it's it's really interesting I'm doing a lot of character designs and stuff for it now that'll be worked into what they do for the movie so it's it's very closely um I've never worked on a project like this that's so closely related and a working relationship with the movie studio as opposed to the publisher but uh it's been interesting so far and who did you say it was written by you cut out there for a second when yeah i'll be going like full time in to finish this oh uh it's written by uh, rob cohen oh okay yeah you can imdb that guy he's done a lot yeah he's been around for a while i've heard the name many times before yeah um like the any any of the cohen brothers films yeah and all that other stuff but then he's done quite a few just on his own yeah yeah Um, yeah yeah and uh, I'm glad you're doing the the Tomb Raider thing because I was I was already picking up that miniseries anyway, so it'll be nice to see your artwork in there. Oh um, yeah. And uh, the other one I wanted to throw out because I actually have it here in my hand is I did get my copy of the uh, Basil and Mobius adventure, the the Shadow Gambit, which you yeah. Can, you so can that get, was the thing you can I get, worked with uh, Larry on. Yeah. Yeah, you can get it through InStockTrades.com, and uh, it's very very reasonably priced and. Uh, yeah, you can see Robert's artwork in there. I have not read it yet, but I did flip through it to kind of look at the art and everything. So, um, but uh, so that's out there. Shannon, how can they find your stuff and what what things do you have coming up? Uh, well, uh, they can find me on slgallant.com, um, my blog, whatever, and still on Joe. Just today, as a matter of fact, I just finished up two twenty five, which is the end of the big like double issues a month run. Nice. Um, and then I'm also doing stuff for a new company called American Mythology. I'm doing Pink Panther. And 
and uh, probably some covers for some of their other stuff. They've got Three Stooges and Stargate Atlantis. Cool. So I'm going to be doing stuff for them, and that's pretty much it. Awesome. And, John, how can they find you? Twitter, that John Thurmond. Facebook, John Thurmond. The Virginia <laughs> Comic Con is going to be coming up. Uh, if this episode get, hits before... Uh, a couple weeks, great. So, yeah. so the twentieth, which is a Friday evening, we're having a, a, a screenings of the Back to the Future trilogy with Bob Gale in attendance at the Bird Theater here in Richmond. It's an old theater with an old pipe organ, and they're going to have some DeLoreans out front. And uh, twenty dollars a ticket gets you the three movies and uh, and a comic that's only available at that uh, at that screening. The 21st and 22nd will be the Virginia Con at the Richmond International Raceway. Uh, ticket information is at vacomicon.com. I want to give two shout-outs uh, very quickly, if I may. Yeah. Well, for I guess I thank you. I want to thank Ryan for turning me on to Nerds with Attitude. Nice. That show is great. Yeah. I had a they. I've listened to all of them, and it's fun because it's a bunch of dudes just talking. Yeah. And they just kind of shoot the breeze, and I really like that. Uh, but I want to give shout-outs to two shows. One uh, has no connection to any of us, but it's a show called Doughboys, and it's uh, Matt, a guy named uh, Nick Weiger and Mike Mitchell. Mike Mitchell is part of the Birthday Boys, and they review um, uh, uh, chain restaurants. It it is hilarious. It's just two guys, and they always have a guest, and they all go to these chain restaurants, and they review them, and it's – Give it a shot. It, it's really, really funny. The other one is somewhat related to the show. It's Comic Guys. Um, my friends Chris Russo and Greg Schiegel. Uh, Chris does G-Man uh, for Image, and then Greg works uh, on SpongeBob and has his creator own book called Picks. They have a show called Cruising Together, uh, so there is an 80s tie-in, too. They're reviewing the filmography of Tom Cruise from beginning right. to end. So <laughs> nice. they, have start, they started with his appearance in um, – Endless Love, like in the two minutes that he's in that movie, and they were progressing. <laughs> the episodes come out every 10 days, so, you know, the 10th, nice. the 20th, 30th, they come out in that cycle. So, um, I guess Mission Impossible 3 just came, or, yeah, Mission Impossible 3 just came out last. Uh, I believe they're going to give us a shout-out on their next episode, but cool. uh, Greg and uh, Greg and Chris, for those of you who have not met them, they're two of the coolest guys in comics and they've known each other since they were working together in Marvel almost 20 years ago. They are big fans of comedy, bang bang, like I am. And so there's a, there's a, there's definitely some, uh, some influence there on that show, and you can hear it. But I highly recommend if you just want something fun, where it's supposed to be about Tom Cruise, but really that show talks about a lot of other stuff most times, and he's nice. kind of an afterthought. But it's cruising together. Both Doughboys and Cruising Together are both on um, iTunes and. In various places, but I wanted to, to mention those tonight. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. I have to definitely check those out. Um, and we actually uh, got contacted. The the guy that let me know about uh, Nerds with Attitude uh, contacted me and thank uh, for the shout out and everything else. So he was ecstatic when he heard it, it mentioned. So I really, I really, really, I, I plowed through them. Yeah. I, I, now I'm subscribed. I, yeah, I subscribed I, also. So yeah, fun fun show. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, a uh, couple things just to let people know coming up. Uh, I Now that <laughs> things have kind of slowed down for me, I should be able to get episodes out a little more frequently. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad to be able to 
get things kind of back on track and everything. Um, so I will have like a previews episode coming out again sometime this month. Uh, this episode will come out first and obviously cause you're hearing this and then there'll be a previews episode. And I know we're going to, we've already talked about, we're going to do a writer's episode just like we did the artist one here. Uh, we're definitely going to be doing an animated episode coming up, uh, in the very near future. We're going to do the top five movies from 1983. So we pretty much have the rest of the year planned out. Um, but I'm sure there'll be other things that come in uh, between there as well. I, I I have reached out to Mark Wade, so I'm just waiting to hear back from him uh, to see if we can uh, do an interview with him. So um, those are things you guys can look forward to. Uh, but how you can find us is you can find us at starjoes.com. You can find us at uh, on Facebook. There's a group page and a fan page. You can like the fan page and you'll get news updates about various things related to Star Joes as well as when new episodes are coming out. Um, you can also join the group page and the group page, anyone can post anything they want to talk about that's geek related, Star Joe's related, whatever. Um, it's a great community. People have really been participating. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. It's at Star Joe's podcast. You can send us an email. It's Star Joe's podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail. It's 440-941-J-O-E-S. It's 440-941-5637. I actually wrote down the number this time, so this way people could, <laughs> could know it. Uh, and uh, you can please leave us iTunes on uh, – please leave us on iTunes. Please leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, it helps give us more exposure, and if you leave us a review, we'll read it on the show and respond to it. Um, I think that might be everything. Oh, and Stitcher Radio. You can find us on Stitcher Radio and make Star Joe's one of your favorites on there. Uh, but with that, uh, we'll go ahead and close the show by saying the Force will be with you. Because knowing us is half the battle. Take care, everyone. Imagine this. Hey, we're behind enemy line. What's that? It's the Cobra Bunker. Follow me. Dreadnoughts, Torch, Ripper, and Buzzer. Let's tell the joke. The G.I. Joe checkpoint. Who's the commando? Snake Eyes. And there's Alpine. And Airtight. And the Joe Air Defense. G.I. Yeah! Joe Air Defense, G.I. Joe Checkpoint, Cobra Bunker, and Joe and Dreadnoughts figures each sold separately from Hasbro.